Hey, Pete, how are you? Eh, all right. What are you up to? Not too much. You, you look a little glum. Is it because the weather or the, or the season's changing? Uh, I don't know. It's just that time of year where, I don't know. <laughs> you look like you need a little fun in your life. I could use some fun. Have you ever checked out fun.com? Fun.com? Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, so you should go to fun.com and check out all the cool merch and toys and collectibles and clothing and so on and so forth. And believe it or not, the Retro Network is partnering with them right now and you get a 15% promo on anything you purchase in your transaction. 20% even. Is it really 20%? <laughs> <laughs> well, right, people, we tried, but we failed. Yes, Retro Network and Box Office 30, among the other podcasts, has teamed up with Fun.com to bring you some fun. Check out all their amazing different products. They've got toys, they've got accessories, they've got collectibles, clothes, they've got costumes. I mean, it's just... A bunch of fun stuff, right? <laughs> and for the record, Pete said 15% first, and then I was like, oh, I it was 20. But no, no, it's 15. Okay, cool. Well, it's 20. Good. So there we go. Yes, and as a matter of fact, that 20 is off your entire order, which is amazing. So it's not even just 20% off a single item. It's off your whole order. So that means you can order a whole bunch of stuff. And by the way, this is tied into that, like, holiday spirit and everything that's coming up right now in the season so you got a whole bunch of shopping to do you got your friends you got your family you got your co-workers there's a little something for everybody on fun.com so you gotta head over there check it out lots of great stuff buy a little something for yourself treat yourself <laughs> and have some fun this holiday yeah. there you go there you go and in case you don't know how to spell it, it's F-U-N.com. <laughs> I hope we're having fun doing this promo. I, I'm having fun doing it. I'm having fun.com doing this promo. Fun.com. 20% awesome. We should probably tell them the promo code. Yes, that'd be good. I don't, I don't know it. <laughs> so if you want to take advantage of this offer, the coupon code is TRN Holidays 2021. That's TRN, as in the Retro Network, Holidays 2021. 20% off your entire order valid through January 7th, 22. I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm lonely. I like fun. <laughs> Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box, Box Office, Office 30. 30. Bangarang! 
Welcome to Box Office 30's Hook Review. As usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing tonight, sir? Well, as it's coming up on Festivus, I'm going to do my best <laughs> Frank Costanza, because I got a lot of problems with this movie, and you're going to hear about it. <laughs> well, if, if you get too many problems, we're going to have to have some feats of strength, my, my friend. <laughs> Uh, we also have a very special guest joining us this evening. Adam from Wizards and Sequel Quest has decided to pop in and join us. Adam, how are you Great. doing? Great. I'm very happy to finally be here on Boo Box Office 30. All hook all the time <laughs> until Michael admits he loves it as much as Pete. Oh, yes, but we have to work on him. My understanding is that that you're a bit of a fan, so we gotta we gotta work on this guy a little bit <laughs> here tonight because sell. oh my gosh! But I'm so so happy to have you joining us. We've talked about this, but um, you know, Michael and I would not be here were it not for you and Sequel Quest and kind of the intro to that back in the day. Getting so it's very fun to kind yeah. of reciprocally have you here yeah, I mean, yeah. for me, like this is just gonna feel very comfortable because michael has been gone from wizards for a while so it's gonna be great to just hear him once again forced to talk for 90 minutes about something he actively could care less about so th- that's what we do yeah well and de- you know like depending on like i don't know if you guys have scrolled through the notes list i've written here tonight 90 minutes might be a conservative look <laughs> we gotta try and keep it low but man oof and the one thing I will give Michael, you know, he, he's been complaining and complaining that the movie's too long. And I'm somebody who likes long movies, but I, I will give you, sir, that the notes run a little long. So we're probably going to have to skip some. Early on in the podcast, we were doing notes and we were having like 85 bullet points and stuff <laughs> like that. And we were like, you know, let's like leave it at a cap around 60 bullet points. And this looks like about 140 well, bullets. Well, here, I'll convert it, right? Because right now it's like bullets. Let me see if I change it to a numbered list. We're at 122. 122. Well, I said 140. I was pretty good. Yeah. You got to add wow. my 25 wow. bullet points that I wrote down to bring to the show. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, uh, hang on, folks. We're in for it here tonight. Well, before we dive too much into the notes end of thing. We have a character development segment that we have here on the show, so we're going to let Adam tell us a little bit about his self. Okay, Adam. So um, introduce yourself for those who somehow might not know you on the Retro Network. Hard to believe, but maybe. (laughs) Well, uh, I am a generally crazy person. If you talk to my wife, if you talk to my (laughs) co-hosts, I am overly excited (laughs) about things that don't matter. And then I do podcasts about them. So <laughs> share it, share it with the yeah, world. So whether it is the '90s comic book boom, whether it is VHS tapes and the history of video rental stores, whether it is making up fake movies that barely anybody has heard about, but those who are very passionate about those movies are definitely finding uh, it's just what I do. I just I love writing about nostalgic things, and then especially these days, I love having the conversations. And so you know, on Twitter, all I'm doing is showing old collect that Michael's constantly trying to encourage me to find something practical for myself. <laughs> He's my level-headed yes. friend. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's I, sketchy. Yeah, if I, I have to rein him in. Yeah, 
if I'm the level-headed friend, you're in big yeah. trouble. <laughs> usually it's like, if that's the chain of events, because then he's the one that's usually coming to me and being like, look at this list of things that I want to acquire. What do you think? And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of like the VHSs, I, I I don't know, Michael, did you catch this the other day? Adam was writing back on on uh, Twitter about that he had several of the VHSs that you said you pulled them from like uh, like a big blockbuster um, batch of stuff that you'd come across a few years ago. So what's the story on that? He had a couple of the real obscure movies we were chatting about yeah, on the list last so, week. So <laughs> uh, I used to have a, a YouTube show called RD's Retro Detention, where I was a kid, yeah, a uh, almost 40-year-old kid in detention <laughs> who was talking about- With gray yeah, hair. Yeah, with gray hair. <laughs> with retro, I wore a wig in that, you know, just to create <laughs> the illusion. Uh, but one episode we did was where RD was running a blockbuster video branch out of detention. And so we had to have vintage blockbuster video items. So obviously you got to have the tapes, right? You know, with those very iconic cases. And so I did that. And within that, so yeah, I got so many movies, but there was Grand Canyon, right? Sorry, Kevin Klein and Steve Martin. In preparation <laughs> for this show, I went and watched it. You guys talked about it. Why? <laughs> why? I had to do something to put my kid to sleep. Well, because I, I think part of why is I was razzing you about not having seen it, right? right? So I, we were sort of comparing notes about like, I asked you, why do you have this, right? And your, your response was like, Michael asked me the same thing all the time. But then I said, well, have you seen it? And you said no. And I said, well, now you're like Michael because Michael buys umpteen movies that then sit on a shelf and never get watched <laughs> yeah I, I can't even tell you like my itunes library of movies <laughs> right now has uh 1894 movies Ooh. and the list of unwatched <laughs> is around 570 yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had the speaking of blockbuster we had this period of time where like we were going there constantly they had a great deal when they were trying to compete with netflix oh man um yeah. where i think it was like you could get like two or three discs from online and then if you brought them back in person to the store rather than mailing them back, you could take two or three more home with you. Yeah. So Michael and I were like just doing that and like maybe I shouldn't admit this on a public podcast, but we were ripping <laughs> copies of those so we could like, you know, watch them later because it was era. just like it became more of a factory or something. than. <laughs> I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I know you do. Well, I will say what I'm sure you. <laughs> What's blockbuster? You, you did yeah. not pick up was at play and feel in the fields of the Lord, which I also watched. Yes. And, no, oh no. Boy, <laughs> that one was that was trouble. That, Tom Berenger pretending to be a native of a South American tribe. That was. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> but, you know, Pete, you mentioned Father of the Bride, right? And yes. he's never seen it. I'm yeah, shocked. Well, Oh, no, I've yeah. seen them. I just said I wasn't a fan of them when I was like eight. Exactly. <laughs> and I got taken to the theater to see Father of the Bride opening weekend for some reason. Nice. And I just started theater hopping. <laughs> I walked out after 20 minutes. I'm like, this is not for me. I'm eight years old. And, you know, so then I just went for a walk. And But it was I thought it was weird that there were two Steve Martin films released within a week of each other. So there was Father yeah. of the Bride and then Grand Canyon. And they're so full We've had that a couple of times throughout the show where we've ran into a few things where um, either in very odd cases where the director had two movies out at the same time or like in, in several other cases where 
um, a actor was playing against themselves somewhere in the box office. So that's always very funny when that comes up. Schwarzenegger had that a few times, with, I think with like Kindergarten Cop and like Terminator. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, why is this happening at the same time? It's very strange. Well, so but, speaking of these uh, kind of older movies, uh, Adam, like do you have any like favorite or real formative movies from the 90s since we do our 90s podcast thing that like really got you into film? Well, this is the bane of my co-host on sequel quest this was this was they they had to deal with this constantly because i'm like guys we got to do a sequel to surf ninjas because oh my god i'm on board with you sir (laughs) that was huge for me uh i love surf ninjas i mean billy madison is another big one for me that i just watched like on a loop like constantly yeah Uh, I'm, i'm trying to think of a respectable film from the 90s that I enjoyed, but most of them are the crap. <laughs> I mean, Surf Ninjas is perfectly respectable in my head. Rocky loves Emily. Oh, three ninjas, <laughs> but also three Oh, ninjas. am I mixing the two? Those two, are, yeah, I, I bleed yeah, those two in. Similar. That's the one where it has Leslie Nielsen and they're playing like the yeah, video game controlling him. Yeah, yeah. Game gear. Which is yes. the one with, with Chris Farley? That's Beverly Hills Ninja. Ninja. Beverly Hills Ninja. Yeah. Beverly Hills Ninja. There was a lot of white ninjas in yeah. the 90s. Yeah, no, ninjas was a it thing was in big. the 90s. So many formative ninja films for me, obviously. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where like when I would go to the video store. Surf Ninjas as Kato as a character, right? Kato? Is that his name? Mm, no, I'm trying to think. What? What? Which character are you imagining? The Ernie Reyes. The Rufio Esquire. Yeah, Ernie Reyes Jr. No, no. He, they, they all just have normal names. They're not. <laughs> they, Where am I getting that yeah, from? I mean, obviously, think, yeah, maybe I'm jumping over to Mortal Kombat. Another I think, I think you're thinking of movie. Three Ninjas. Three <laughs> it ninjas could be. Again, yeah, those two, like, because honestly, like, those movies came out similarly timed, and I would, like, play one and then like stick the next one in the VHS. So I'm sure they bleed oh. right into each other. I feel like they're probably like same universe. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'm trying to think, of, I, like, I just have to look over here and see my actual right. <laughs> library. Uh, oh, well, I mean, how can I forget the shadow? The shadow oh. was another huge one for me that I just, I know Michael had been so looking forward to doing that. <laughs> All in good time. <laughs> so, Adam also has one particular movie that he's got a very unique relationship with. And this is Troop Beverly Hills. Uh, <laughs> technically an 80s is, film. It's right on the cusp because it's 89, right? So, but yes. of course I was watching. But can you do the Freddy? Is yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I can do, do the pony, the mashed potato. <laughs> they go through all of them in that scene. And actually, I just got an actual Troop Beverly Hills press kit. I've been chasing one for a while. They're so, they've been expensive. And this one was cheap and I got it just right. And I was like, yes. The elusive Troop Beverly Correct. Hills press kit. That is, that is Go the unicorn. Snowblower in Montana. <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills press kit. I don't know oh. here, folks. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. Well, as um, kind of part and parcel with our character development segment, we've been asking our guests a secret question that I scheme up uh, just usually like 10 minutes before the episode starts. But I think I've actually got a really good one this time. All right. Uh, So both Michael and I, like I said, we are our home at the Retro Network to your podcast sequel quest. Right. And then uh, you also, both of you, work on Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. 
So here's and, my and just just for record, Adam is the actual wizard. I'm just sort of like <laughs> his Ed McMahon kind of a thing. <laughs> You're good at the Ed McMahon thing. Uh, yeah. You just gotta start going. Oh, yes, now. <laughs> um, but uh, so here's my question for for these, right? And I'm going to combine these two ideas. And Michael, you can of course um, put in your answer for this as well. All right. So if you had to come up with a sequel taking place using elements of the Hook universe, but teaming up with or facing off and or facing off against a superhero or super villain, what does that look like for you? Good one, right? <laughs> I felt proud of that. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll give you a chance to think about it. I'll I'll hit you with mine in the meantime, all right? Because I, I this is the this is the cheat portion of this. I come up with a question, I get to think of my answer beforehand. <laughs> all right, so for me, it's gonna be a team up with Green Lantern, all right? We realize that Neverland, being the second star to the right, straight on till morning, is located in sector 2814, all right? The GLC found out that the fairies have been kidnapping children from Earth for over a century and making them into these lost boys to fight pirates, right? So there's a part of me that would like to see this happening during the Blackest Night series as like a one-off, right? <laughs> and then we'll get a zombie hook, Rufio and Crocodile as Black Lanterns. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you see where I'm going here? All right. And then I'm also thinking like maybe Neverland is like tied to earth, you know, like sort of thing that it's like a second home to the life energy of the white lantern core. So maybe that's why no one ever ages. Right. And why like somebody who's so full of life can fly and like do all these amazing things. Right. So <laughs> there's my, there's my loose pitch <laughs> for the record. Adam's comic knowledge ends at like 2004. So all the black and white stuff is just like, sure, sounds That's great, correct. guys. Cool. <laughs> I, on the other hand, I, on the other hand, I would say if, if the movie picked up exactly where it ended, Psycho Pirate from the DC <laughs> Universe somehow enters the realm of Neverland and hypnotizes and manipulates everybody in Neverland to make it some sort of parallel psychosis lunacy dimension. I really like that. It, only if somehow Black Adam shows up at some point <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and very much uh, in, in, what was that? Uh, not Final Crisis, Infinite Crisis, where he yes. punches a poor psycho pirate's face mask right through the back of his head. Like. More or less. <laughs> That would be pretty good. Well, you guys oh went with uh, mid-2000s DC continuity, but I'm going to go to Marvel. In fairness, that's where my more <laughs> more of my strengths I know. lie. Michael's time will come, you know, as we move forward on Wizards. But no, I was actually thinking I would love to see a team up with like, you know, whether he's resurrected, whether somebody, you know, there's, there's some explanation that he went inside the croc. We didn't see him get chopped up. So he, he, you know, Hook like scrapes his way out, then he comes out. And then the Grim Reaper, if you guys know the Grim Reaper in Marvel Comics continuity, he's Wonder Man's brother, and he's got a scythe for a hand. So you have the Grim Reaper teamed up with Hook, right? And then you got to call <laughs> Peter Pan into this thing, right? So I'm thinking like Peter Pan teaming up with somebody like Speedball, you know, like it just seems like nice. you know, it's bouncing ball of energy and then the flying pan. And I, I feel like that would be a really good face off <laughs> with the two of them. <laughs> 
I love it. That's not, pretty great. Uh, but him, not uh, Death the Black Racer, huh? <laughs> I, I had like a longstanding bone to pick with you guys of that off Wizards. I listened to one of the episodes and you were really giving him grief. I always loved the concept of this guy on skis, <laughs> like <laughs> zipping to, to gather souls. <laughs> I don't, there's a lot of stuff that he writes that is like way out there. And I'm like, what on earth is he talking about? But that one, I don't I'm know. I'm pretty sure he just one. said, I went silver and surfer once. Now I will do black and racer. <laughs> and the like, there you <laughs> go. I think you got it in a nutshell there. All right, well, let's dive into this thing because we've got a lot of uh, of, of territory to cover um, here. I've so, got a lot of complaints. I got my Festivus <laughs> poll ready here. Yes, yeah, so I know, Adam, again, it sounds like you're a big fan of Hook, so like, I, I know you've been uh, – you mentioned you were even reading a novelization, which now I apparently need to go dig up and add to my roster of, of, of books. Yes. <laughs> okay. So if the movie's two, if the two, if the movie is two hours and twenty minutes, that book must be <laughs> seven hundred pages. It's like thirty pages, one hundred and eleven pages. But is that the Cliff Notes well, version this, of this it? Is like the junior novelization, and to my knowledge, this is the only novelization of the film that exists. Now tell me something because I can't read yeah. it from here. Who's the author on Geary that? Gravel, not Gary Geary. See, so here's what's so weird. I, after you said that earlier, I started looking it up, and now I got to look it up again for myself. That I think there's a like an even bigger one that is by Terry oh, Brooks, okay. who did like the like the Shinar. I can't ever say it. The Shinar Chronicles. Because um, I was like, I was looking around and I kept seeing his. So like, you must have the junior. This must be, I guess, yeah. the adult or something. Yeah, I think you're um, right. Yeah, interesting. But I mean, it's still it does have so, a lot of deleted scenes and stuff. I'll add in as it goes. Although I will tell you, it spends eight pages on that opening scene at the play. And I don't know. I nice. tried reading it to my wife. I'm like, it's the 30th anniversary, dear. Let's read this book together. It's so short. And she's like, are they still talking about the play? That was like a minute and a half of the movie. I was like, I don't know. That's well, so funny note, and it's as good a place to start as any as we discuss this. And, and Adam, maybe you know some of these because I know that you've done some some work with Hook before. But I went digging deep to try and find some of my fun facts about Hook that I already know a bunch, but I found some new ones. And I was really excited about that did you guys know and michael this might be like in like even scare the rest of your hair out of your head moment mm. hook was originally supposed to be a musical Ooh. <laughs> it was originally written as a musical in fact they already had completed some of the music for it before they decided to go the other direction so the song they're singing during the play and also the song that um, blanking on his daughter's name, Maggie, thank you, sings later on are two of the the songs that would have been in the musical that made their way into the final film. So how about that? And now Spielberg is finally doing his musical with West Side Story. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I will say, and I'm going to just, I've been holding this back and I got to say this. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. All right. Here it comes. Okay, we're ready. <laughs> I I have seen probably almost every Robin Williams film, and I've seen 95% of Steven Spielberg films. And this, in my opinion, is the worst film oh, for both of them. And I've seen AI. Where, where did Hook touch you as a child, Michael? <laughs> and Michael, let me tell you this. I wasn't familiar with Spielberg at all at this point in my life when I saw Hook. I knew like the iconography of really? Jaws and E.T. 
but I hadn't seen them. And I think the only Spielberg film I'd seen before Hook was probably Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, like just a couple years before, Mm. you know, and and the scene of the guy's heart getting ripped out in Temple of Doom. My friend's older brother showed that to (laughs) me just to break my brain, you know, but like I I, I had seen the stuff he produced. I'd seen Gremlins and an American Tale and Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future Part 2 only and Tiny Toon Adventures. (laughs) Like those were like the Spielberg produced things, but directed movies, Hook was it. Like this was the defining Spielberg film for me until Jurassic Oof. Park two years later. It's a low bar. Oh, I, you know, honestly, Adam, that's a really great point. And I would say that that's probably the case for me as well. You know, I might have seen some of the other stuff, but like, at least at that age, like, oh, the director, that doesn't make a lick of difference to me. You know, like I'm not paying attention to any of that sort of thing now. Um, and it was funny because I watched this over again with Zoe and she's like, hey, that guy that's Peter Pan looks a lot like Mrs. Doubtfire. And I'm like, how about that? Oh, like, oh, Granny Wendy looks a lot like, um, you know, uh, what's her face from um, Harry, Harry Potter? Name? Minerva uh, McGonagall in uh, Harry yeah. Potter. You know, so she was making those kind of like likewise links. But like director, that meant nothing to me at that point. So, yeah, this was probably and I I had seen E.T. I'm not a big E.T. guy, but I had seen E.T. So that's probably the first but this is like probably where I'm like, oh, wow, this is really great, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I there's there's something I'm convinced in in the water you're drinking, Michael, or something <laughs> like that. There's something that happened to you with this, some traumatic experience. It, you know, it's it's funny. Like I started looking around, and it, you're not alone as far as critical consensus goes. The critics reamed this movie. But as far as movie going experience goes, everyone likes this movie. I mean, like, no, <laughs> the kids in my area, like when I posted about the 30th anniversary, the kids I grew up with, they're like, "I love Hook, I love that movie." Because I saw it multiple times in the theater. That was the first time I ever did that for a movie, and like, it was one of those things where, like, just in my area, it was a very big deal, and everybody loved it. So I don't know. I find this so odd. It, there's so many plot holes in this oh, movie. Oh, it's a, a children's movie, yeah. Michael. <laughs> it's a Steven Spielberg children's movie. But it's a children's movie. <laughs> they don't need to like, like you guys, this guy's flying. How did that happen? <laughs> but like even the set design in Neverland is horrible. Oh, that's the best. It's horrible. It's horrible. It is well, the worst set design. It looks like it's on a Broadway stage. It's well, so horrible. Like, interesting note, right? So like 95% of this movie is shot on Sony sound stages. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that's interesting, and I'm, uh, you know, I think this is one of these things where like the wheel of time turns, you know, I was watching this, um, the 4K version that they only surprisingly recently released, like in like the past year or two. I was surprised it took them so long to get that out. But um, you start seeing the seams. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, like the paintings in the backgrounds of sets are a little more obvious and all that. So like I, I think some of this stuff back in the day blended a little better. Um, you know, versus now, like on like the beautiful 4K screen with like Blu-ray up conversion, you know, like all of a sudden it's a little more iffy on some of that sort of thing. So you're definitely seeing a little bit more of the sets. And as a matter of fact, I had to like make sure that the like auto motion plus was off on my screen because I was like, this looks like it for some reason it enabled it. And I was like, whoa, two soap opera. Yeah, it doesn't look like a movie anymore. <laughs> yeah, I always have to do that. No, no, yeah. Um, but it, you know. Pretty cool what they did manage to accomplish in these sets. And the funny thing is, is like, 
if you compare it to a set like, for example, like real random pull, but like a Dagobah in um, Star Wars, which looks very real and gritty and everything like that. I think part of what they were going for here is like that childlike, imaginative, lots of bright colors, lots of silly things. So like, I think it kind of like skirts that like, you know, realm of realism. You know what I mean? I think it's okay. And in a way, I think they're trying to let it seem a little larger than life. You know, I don't know. I could be wrong. That's what that inflated uh, 80 million uh, up from 40 million budget gets you. (laughs) But it's like, I don't know. There's just so many problems I have this movie. Well, let's go point by point and hear them, Michael. I'm sure. (laughs) First of all, first of all, I'm going to start. I am going to parlay a little bit ahead in your notes here. How does Hook know the one night they happen to be at Wendy's house and that Peter Pan is not going to be home? Can I ask you Can I ask you a question and ask for 100% honesty? Yeah, of course. Sure. Did you watch the Cinema Sins for this? No, 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 no. This is just... This is just me. They were giving so many cinema sins for like they knew the exact day and time. He w- he would never subject himself to more Hook. Yeah, Pete. He would never do extra to have to watch more about Hook. I'm sure. No, if, hell no. I don't do extra for our podcast. If I have to give you an in movie explanation, I'm going to jump all the way to the end when Robin Williams sees basically Smee as a like a sweep. And then, yeah. like, they mentioned that there was, like, a like a window cleaner that was, like, checking in and took their baseball yep. in the beginning. I think Smee or some of the pirates were set on that house to watch for when he returned. That's my my in-universe theory to explain your, your okay. plot. <laughs> All right. Okay. Problem number two. <laughs> Robin Williams is the villain in this movie. What? Well, he, at least in the beginning, is Daniel sure. LaRusso is the villain theory. First 45 minutes, maybe to an hour and a half. He's the bad guy. He's mean. He's not nice. He's not a redeemable character. Yes. He does. He have a character arc. Yes. Does he change to become Peter Pan once again? <laughs> but yes. he literally redeems his character. That's the whole plot of the movie. But he's so hateable. And he plays the straight man in so much of the film that it just takes me out of it. And it really bothers me. No, it's true. I mean, like they and it starts right with the play and everything. They set him up that he is a forgetful father, that he's too busy with work. Um, And it's never quite clear to me what type of law it is that he's practicing. If it's At like, one point he says he's an accountant too. He says, yeah, he said he started off as an accountant. You know, like I, I, my guess is he's some kind of just like corporate lawyer. Yeah, like, seems like it. Yeah. You know, plain sort well, of thing. Yeah, I mean, the way um, that, that Jack explains and he blows people out of the water, like he is like a corporate raider, essentially. It kind of sounds yeah, like. That's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Wendy calls him a yeah. pirate. Like she, she legit calls him a pirate. But like, you know, okay. After the kids get kidnapped, the cops show up. There's physical damage in the house, <laughs> uh, all throughout the whole house. And the cops are like, eh, 
this could be a prank. And I'm I like, specifically, you have to forgive that inspector because it's actually Phil yeah, Collins. Yeah, Michael, you just saw him live, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And it's Phil, Phil Collins Col- might not have an actual uh, inspector's uh, education. <laughs> yes, but, but the, I, no problem with the Phil Collins aspect of it. The problem is the writing makes no sense. That's a big problem I have with it. Um, honestly, the best characters in the entire movie are Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell and obviously Rufio, okay? Bar none. Uh, okay. Also, the, the little kid that smushes Peter Pan's face is my favorite character in the movie <laughs> without question. Hawkins. Um, Dustin Hawkins, yeah. I think. Or? D- Dustin Hoffman was doing his best Jeremy Irons for half of the movie <laughs> and then kind of switches into this weird sort of amalgam of himself and Jeremy Irons. Oh, well, God, well, this, I'm almost done. Yeah, right. I gotta say this, Michael. I, you know, because for me, the fact that this movie is called Hook, and we don't get nearly enough time with Dustin Hoffman's Hook. Hook, Hook, Hook is in the movie for about. 35 minutes. Well, I can also Maybe. give you a little extra backstory on that. Okay. This might come as another surprise because it certainly shocked me. Um, any guess as to who Peter Pan was being played by before Robin Williams in the early, early development of this film? Dustin Hoffman? Johnny no. Depp? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, if you had to think of a celebrity who's Peter oh, Pan obsessed. Uh, Pee Wee Herman. No, no. Keep going. Getting closer. Tom Cruise? Michael Jackson was tapped to be Peter Pan originally in this until, believe it or not, he found out that it was going to be a 40-year-old Peter Pan. Then he lost interest in in the movie, and we end up with (laughs) with the movie that we have. Um, It was also originally called Peter Pan um, before they changed it to Hook. But um, I didn't quite find information on why they ultimately decided to change the title over, except to say I think they wanted to avoid confusion with um, Peter Pan and the Pirates, which was a animated series that was also running it. at the same yeah. time. And, okay, now, my last two complaints about this movie. <laughs> Just the last two? Then you're not going to talk the rest of the night, right? I, 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 I might. I, Adam I might. and I will carry on from there. <laughs> I, I may sprinkle a few complaints here. And yeah, there you're like a little complaint fairy. You're going <laughs> to sprinkle this with your complaint dust the, and make us sag to the ground. <laughs> the, the kid who plays Jack, who's been in a few other movies that we've reviewed on this podcast. Yes, Charlie Cosmo. <laughs> I absolutely hate that kid. Yeah, he, I know, you he, mentioned he, that last he episode. Is the worst. <laughs> the worst part of the movie by far he's the worst part of the movie the, the little girl is so much better and has nothing to do with this movie other than <laughs> sing a but song you got you to love about him is he always seems like he's gonna crack up like he's just having a great time and like I love it because he grew up to be in this movie can't hardly wait from the director of Josie yes. and, the and now he's a lawyer yeah. now he's actually a and lawyer he, he's like so a weird. nerd who plots revenge against the cool kids and in his scene planning the siege on the party he has McFarlane kiss action figures, and it just like he won my heart there, even after Dick Tracy and everything else. So, and okay, my last big complaint, other than the horrible CGI flying, is, and we're gonna get to this at some point, I'm sure. 
the random underwater mermaid kissing <laughs> thing. I, I will say it's a little. What the hell is that all yeah, about? Yeah, a little questionable. And I'm actually curious if uh, Adam will be able to like give us a little softball from the novelization if there's anything that explains some more of the rest of that scene because it is one of the weird transitions. But we'll we'll wait to get yeah. to that so yeah. we're not like too far off our <laughs> our stuff here. So Michael, those, those I don't know if you primary trans- complaints. I think, you know, Adam, one of the successes you've had in, in Wizards, at least to like the outside listener, is that you seem to be able to keep him fairly well on track. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I can't keep this guy on the rails. We're like, all right, so like, let's go. We're going to start with the notes. All right, here's the beginning of the movie. I have something to say about the end of the movie. And I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> I can't wait. It kills I can't me wait. every time. If it, my wife, who's probably maybe the most avid listener to this show at least that I get feedback from one of her constant things of feedback is why is he always saying something that's going to come up down the road she's like you have to say we'll get to that more times than is possibly reasonable to hear in any given episode (laughs) I, I can't help it I can't hold back when I get frustrated so anyway so we'll start off with your 122 <laughs> points. Um, well, to brush us through like some of the initial stuff, because we've already chatted about it a little bit. So essentially, beginning of this movie, we realize he's this workaholic lawyer. He um, It starts off on his daughter's play. We get this lead in that he needs to come to his son's baseball game. He, of course, doesn't make it to the baseball game. And it starts to set up the ball running that not only is he a bad parent, but it's also setting up this idea that Jack is going to become very disillusioned with his father. And it's also going to set up later for us this plot theme that, you know, essentially he forgot that his happiest thought was like being a father. And so that's why he sort of lost himself in in the rest of the movie. Fast forward a little bit and also, you know, another cute little plot point they decided to throw in, of course, Peter Pan, afraid of heights, (laughs) is that he's afraid to fly to London where they're going to be dedicating a hospital wing to Granny Wendy. So that's probably a good point to pick up to get us a little past some of the initial um, uh, detrius. Um, I I do have to say, I think Brad – is the villain of this film past hook. They might have called this movie Brad because Brad is just ruining his life with all these calls. <laughs> Every time he picks up the phone, hey, Brad, this is a call of my life. You know, <laughs> The cell phone service in that Motorola flip phone is unbelievable. It no gets, kidding. It gets global service. I mean, an alternate reading of this film is that Brad literally was driving him insane. It just created. Yeah, issues that he could take <laughs> over for Peter Banning at their, you know, their corporate job. You know, he's just trying to try. It sounds like, yeah, there might be a whole other subplot to this <laughs> film we're unaware of. <laughs> so he's he's out there like um, nesting snowy owls where they shouldn't be in all this, you know. Um, so, OK, so they end up in London. I do have to say that I thought the Granny Wendy um, had an epic entrance. Um, yeah. Just like pure awesome filmmaking where like it kind of, they have the scene where they like kind of brush into the house and Mora's very enamored by the home and being back. And then it cuts to like her just like in silhouette at the top of the stairs. Hello boy. Just like still to date. And I think it's one of these things that, and I don't know, maybe <laughs> Michael can't relate. Maybe Adam, you can. There's parts of this movie where it's so burned into like the retina in the back of my brain that like it still sends like a little chill up my spine and it's like that's one of those moments i love that there's something so like great about it and she's such a wonderful actress that she's just like 
I love her as in this uh, in this character. <laughs> yeah, for me, like when she came down the steps, though, I was like boogie woogie on the piano because to me, she's mother superior <laughs> from Sister Act, and so yes, <laughs> cracked me up as a kid. I was like, what? Because I think well, and it's like I was saying that's about the same time that Zoe's saying to me like, hey, isn't that you know Professor McGonagall? And I'm like, yeah, she's about to scream Potter and come running down the steps. I guess. <laughs> yeah, and the funny part is like Maggie Smith. I don't know if they were putting makeup on her there to make her look older, but she looks like the same there as she does in Harry Potter. And yeah, they were definitely (laughs) aging her up. She just like hit an old age. She's like the Paul Rudd of old people. (laughs) She hit like a certain age. and just stopped aging past that. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, again, and I, <laughs> they're kind of like, you know, still really trying to sell home this uh, thing that he's on the phone here. I do have to say I can genuinely relate to the kids driving you crazy while you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying this to take watch, I just call. suddenly had so much more empathy for my kids because I realized yeah. they, they've had this moment <laughs> already with me. And I used to be – I have literal friends who I used to go over to their house and I was like – we would like always come up with games and different like shows that we would perform and videos we would make and whatever. And their mom used to say, you were our Peter Pan. You would come over and you would just like create this wonderful <laughs> thing. And now I'm all like, oh, grumpy. Yeah, you kids. You know, so I'm like, well, this is a, again, this is like, I'm going to keep razzing Michael all night here. But this is like where you're like, Michael, you've become a pirate. I mean, like <laughs> the, the like at the heart of this movie is this idea of like, I think something that all of us, at least this small group here can relate to, which is like, we are all genuinely still kids at heart. We have held on to the things that are so important to us in our childhoods and that have made us happy. And we're still like real goofballs and everything. And like, you know, I, I think that's, you know, obviously what he's lost in the, in the, you know, flow of things here. But um, I, I think in a way, like the concept of this with Hook is like something that's always kept me grounded as a parent. Like I want to be that parent that's like always fun and like, you know, I'm imagining and all that. So damn, I, Michael, you're cold, cold, I, cold. I, listen, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that, right? I understand like, you know, being utilized. I still use my imagination almost daily. Like that's why I have – building a giant lego bat cave in my in my <laughs> office here but which is amazing i don't know adam if you've, if you've been able to yet, see no. the, the inside it's pretty cool he's I'll, got I'll, there. i i'm still oh god i don't even want to get into, that's a whole other podcast <laughs> but i know for a fact <laughs> but, that michael um, does voices for his daughters at bedtime I, so he's still got it it's a it's just this I movie do, but <laughs> this, like this movie for me it just doesn't capture my imagination um, it, it, it do, I don't buy it at all. Um, <laughs> I had to buy it. <laughs> I was trying to find my copy and I could not find it. So I ended up I, having I to have, buy it off iTunes. Yeah, well, that, I, have, I have the VHS floating around somewhere too, but I was, uh, I had I to go it buy digitally. it off iTunes. I figured you being so obsessed with this film, you would have had it in probably it's, three different versions. I know, it's all still packed away. At some point I got to get all these Blu-rays and things out, but yes, it's, it's all still packed away. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. This movie just... So, didn't do it. I for mean, me. Michael, to a point, your your point is valid though, because what I started realizing on this rewatch is I am here for the title character. I am not here for Peter Pan's journey. 
And every <laughs> rewatch for me, the Peter Pan journey is more painful. Like I said, this time it's because I'm seeing a little bit of myself in it, but also it just becomes more and more embarrassing. And it's just like, like the whole concept of, you know, Wendy having to reveal to Peter, right. That he is Peter Pan, like that whole conversation where he's legitimately concerned. He's, he's like, Oh, okay. She lost it. Like she's, she's going and like, that's like a real concern in this day and age too. I have friends whose parents are dealing with those issues. So now it's hitting me harder too. And I'm just like, this is getting too real, <laughs> but it's also just embarrassing. Yeah. Like you say, to watch, uh, you know, Robin Williams have to play this jerk for such a huge chunk of the movie. My kids, like I tried showing it to them and they're just like, this is a bad movie because it's, it takes so long to get to Neverland. Well, that's, that is one yes. like thing that I will totally agree with you guys on that. I, I counted it. It takes about 36 minutes for yeah, them to get to Neverland. And that's in a two hour 20 movie, maybe arguably a little too long. They might've like oversold, you know, like the, the portion of it in the, in the beginning of how, how kind of awful. Like. So, so here's my problem with that. Right. Okay. And I, I, it takes about, yeah, about 33 to 36 minutes to get to Neverland. Tinkerbell is carrying him there. Why drop him right by the pirates and not You're getting bring- ahead again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're not even remotely up to that yet. Yeah, oh my god! I have to start yes. giving. I might have to like dig up a buzzer for this episode and keep like a tally going of like this because this is this is getting bad now. This, this is going to be a six-hour podcast. Right, so, so let's get rid of the the phone. So Mora chucks the phone out the window. All right. What I think is interesting about this is not so much the phone getting chucked out the window, but the fact that there's another Nana dog <laughs> that, like, from like way back when, in like you know, basically like the if you go by the movie's timeline, nineteen hundred or so area, there's a Nana. So is this a descendant of not Nana? Has Nana been alive all Nana this time? The bird, I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> or fourth or fifth or sixth by this point, you know, those big dogs don't last so long. <laughs> I, I also, the, the character of Moira, I don't care about her. And at by all. the way, Moira, Mora, I feel like they might call her different things at different points in this movie. <laughs> That's who's it's spe- it, ultimately, yeah. it's Mora, but it, I feel it, like I heard them say Moira a couple times. In the credits, it's spelled M-O-I-R-A, Moira. Yeah, it's just the yeah, pronunciation. They pronounce it Mora yeah. point. But I got to say, like, with her, Weird. the one question I had about this, because like you said, Pete, like, I'm not getting too far ahead here, but this she is wendy's granddaughter right is what we find out yes where were her parents for the biggest night of her mother or father's <laughs> uh, you know mother's life you know like as peter calls right. it well you know what I, I think i wrote about this later in my notes too there's a pool of like missing characters in yeah. this movie uh not the least of which is john and right. michael um and you know i'm i'm really curious like you know i was again i keep thinking back to sequel quests and I got to finish your episode. I don't know if you guys mentioned something like this in there, but like I have like a sequel quest pitch for like John and Michael pirate hunters or something like that. You know, <laughs> like, I, and I think we you know, they're just like missing an yeah, action. We focused on the lost boys and stuff mainly. So yeah. Yes. Well, it's speaking of Wendy. So I thought this was a, just an interesting thing to point out. Uh, and again, this was something that I, I caught and started thinking about more because of the fact we were doing this podcast than, I would normally think about this, but um, she's describing, uh, she's reading the story Peter Pan to the kids and she's talking about that Mr. Barry wrote them down nigh on 80 years ago. 
So it's interesting to point out that this being a 1991 film, Peter Pan was published in 1911. So it is, in fact, relatively historically accurate timing for once. I feel like so many times in these movies, they're like, oh, 70 years ago, but it doesn't really match to a thing. Where it does get a little um, hinky and questionable is that it was originally a 1904 play. Mm. So if if Wendy is describing these stories to um, J.M. Barry, who then would have presumably put them into a play and then a book, that's now 87 years prior. Wendy had to be about 8 to 10-ish or so when she went to Neverland. So that puts her around 97 years old. Do we feel that Wendy is actually 97 in this film? No, she's got good genes. I that's would, all you can say. I guess so. But I got, <laughs> Because it's, even it's, on her it's, saying it's eight years ago, like that puts her like, you know, at a minimum of like 85 ish years old. You know, if you kind of, you know, put her in that five or so year old. Yeah, zone. Well, and so yeah, I don't know. This <laughs> was my first exposure, this film to the idea of kind of like a meta sequel or prequel you know, based on existing works of fiction. Like to me, just the idea of this sequel essentially that calls back to history found in a book or an animated film for most yeah. of us, like that was just was mind expanding to be like, you could do that. But, but it's also kind of cool because like I would eventually read the book wicked, you know, like long before the musical ever came out because it was a similar concept to hook in my mind. Like it's so copy yeah. there nowadays, you know, you the villain is the hero, like Michael's saying sort of, you know, in, in wicked and all that. But here, like nowadays in our day and age, like we have Maleficent and Cruella happening all the time, right? But this this was so yeah. new. So it, it was just, and especially for a young kid, I just, it really speaks to Well, that. the other thing too, and I almost wish they had expounded on it more in the film. Like if you go off of Peter Pan, the animated movie, just because I haven't ever read the original mm -hmm. Peter and Wendy to like really sort of talk about how that ends. You know, Captain Hook walks the plank and he's running away from the crocodile across the water like one of those little <laughs> lizards, you know. Um, but the the kind of like, you know, question then is like, does the crocodile get him? Well, apparently this movie answers no, you know. And interesting, you know, this movie ends up with a TriStar distribution, but it went from originally a Disney distribution. So it was originally going to be a true Disney, essentially sequel to the other Disney property. Um, I think they had not let's see it ended at TriStar. I'm trying to think who was in the middle. There was another wow. um, one in the middle because actually Spielberg Columbia um, in there started well. the development of this movie, left the movie and then came back to the movie. So like it was like a, a mess mm -hmm. <laughs> for a little bit. Um, he went off and did like Empire of the Sun in, in the middle, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, it just kind of creates that interesting like, you know, point that like this is kind of a true spiritual success successor to um, the original, you know, animated movie. And then I think the other kind of neat thing for me, and I know Michael will disagree, but I don't think he can disagree too hard with the a point I'm about to make. There's been umpteen other attempts at Peter Pan via other movies, mm -hmm. via the, the live, like, show with Christopher Walken, <laughs> you know, which was god-awful. Um, you know, there's been all these things, but none of them – have stuck. None of them resonate. You know, most of them have gotten just downright panned critically and by audience. Well, when you have Hugh so Jackman I, singing Nirvana lyrics, I mean, that, that's not going to do it. Well, that's when he's being a huge Yakman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I just think that, you know, 
as far as carrying on the Peter Pan property in any kind of successful fashion, this is it. You know what I mean? Like nobody's really been able to recreate the magic, so to speak, uh, in any other kind of presentation, I feel like. No, I, I, I disagree. There was that live action version of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin as Peter Pan. That's a musical. That's the, the stage show. Yeah. Yeah, but they did a movie out of it. Well, didn't they, they just filmed the stage. Play. I don't think I'm counting yeah. that though. I'm talking like Pan yeah. and like all these various other, you know, hot messes in the past thirty years here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like Peter Pan is one of those movies that's like even, I don't know. Even the all right. I understand. It's a children's movie. Suspension of disbelief. I get all that. I under, I studied filmmaking. I understand. How do they travel to different planets? Well, you know, I, I had How? that question because fairy yeah, dust. Yeah, yeah, because when the, when the green, like, the light shines in through the shutters as they open up and all that, right. like, like, Neverland's got, like, three suns. They're definitely in another galaxy. <laughs> without question. He's, he's, like, How does that work? Does, very, does it have three suns or two moons? I don't remember seeing multiple suns. I remember the two moons. I think you're right, though, Mike. Like, I think they say, like, three suns and two moons in some literature. Well, I mean, it, no, it doesn't need to be in another galaxy. It just needs to not be in our solar system. There's two stars, at least. A second star to the right. But how do they get there? How? Like... Straight on through morning. All right, but like, do you then you? have this problem with the Peter Pan book and animated movie? Because they do yes. the same thing. Oh my yes. god! Get <laughs> off this podcast! You're, you're fired. What are you talking about? I just this is from a guy who whose favorite character in the world is a guy who dresses up as a bat and for like the past eighty years has never gotten shot. Or, He's or kill. He's been killed. He's been killed. <laughs> Resurrect o- Omega Rays. How do they do Omega Rays? What are you talking about? Well, here, here's what I'll say. You're questioning the like dumbest part of the logic. Yeah, the only thing, the reason I would agree with Michael is just that I wanted a hook like or a pre-credit scene that's showing him like obsessing over Peter Pan, showing him like all these years he's been gone, left me here, blah, blah. I want to see what Hook had to deal with, like where he's just like he has no glory to coast on and, you know, and all that stuff. And, and I wanted to see him I mean, have like pi- pixies that he's trapped and he's like stealing their fairy dust, you know, and, <laughs> and he's throwing it on and then they're traveling across, you know, like. Yeah, we need that like Oz the Great and Powerful to mm-hmm. hook. Essentially, yeah. is the thing like, um, and I it's, know, it is. Like, you know, I haven't even questioned like just like stepping out of the Hook universe for a second. I'd love to know how all these adult pirates ended up in Neverland in the first place. You know what I mean? Like that'd be a great story okay. too. So that's a good that's a good segue to what I'm about to say. Is all right. So all right, let's say for a minute we suspend disbelief. Pixie dust or fairy dust is the re- is the catalyst that brings people from <laughs> You're Earth. You're still on how to get from place to place. <laughs> but but like, look, look, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, I don't know if you know, they had this one deleted scene. Adam will vouch for this in the novelization where um, Tinkerbell can make people fly with fairy dust if they think happy thoughts. But if they think really happy thoughts, she can also open wormholes. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that was okay. 100% there. But, but okay, <laughs> let's just say, all right, so the fairies can get people to travel interdimensionally, whatever you want to say. Sure, they could open up wormholes. Fantastic. How did Hook get it? Because we never see any of the pirates ever in any <laughs> incarnation of Peter Pan. We never see a pirate fly. 
All right. Well, in the end of Peter Pan, they cover the ship with fairy dust and the ship flies away. So maybe the ship still has some fairy dust coating. Or if you have a child like I do and you've seen the Tinkerbell movies and you've seen uh, Tinkerbell and the Pirate Princess yes, or whichever that one's called. We've watched them many times. And yeah. she comes and helps the pirates with her fair, stolen fairy dust. Maybe there's well, something with so, that. So is I this don't know. Like a Star These Wars are, kind of I, thing I, where we got to read all the novelizations. I, I feel I, like, yeah, this is like, this is getting like way past like, if that's the reason you don't like Hook, <laughs> this is way, take it up with this is like way deeper than, than what we can possibly yeah. like fix for you. <laughs> oh no, we're, we're not. We haven't even begun to fight uh, yet. We're, like we're, there's there's something in like yeah, there's not enough hook in this film, or there's something in I don't like how Peter Pan was played too serious. But if we're getting into like the fairies can't possibly transport people from one planet to another, you're just you're off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> you're done. <laughs> So, somebody's got to play the heel in every episode, and it's going to be me tonight. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Anyway. Where are we going to now? Where, where were we? Where are we? Oh, I don't know. It's almost not even worth the notes. <laughs> At any rate, um, you know, we have the kidnap scene. Um, I had some various things I pointed out with that. That I mean, again, and I talked about this last episode. I loved how intense that scene is, like especially – um, like the eerie green light. I'd, I'd love to, like to your point, Adam, I'd love to see more of where, where yeah. that is. You know, like, like did they sail the ship there? You know, like that would be really cool to see some of that. I think if we got Hook now with modern graphics and things, we would have something yeah. like that in it. I think like per your complaintative 90s blue screen effects, Michael, that's the reason we don't really have you know, I, that sort of thing. I will <laughs> say that the actual kidnapping sequence is probably my favorite part of the movie other than once he finally realizes who he is, that, that kind of moment. Those are two of my favorite parts of the movie. Everything else to me is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will say the scene where essentially they're honoring Grandy, Grandy, Granny, Wendy. And, you know, he's kind of like doing his little like jokes on lawyers and like the riff and everybody's standing up and like applauding for her. It definitely does feel like heavy and unnecessary, you know, like it could really probably stick with the kids and like come back. I mean, like, yes, we're, we're getting a little more like Wendy's amazing and wonderful, but like it's kind of like character development that we don't really genuinely need. For well, this plus they're telling us that Wendy film. felt a disturbance in the force when Hook Yes, up. I do appreciate <laughs> that, like, oh. the idea of that. Like <laughs> that, like her across town, like the wind is like blowing through there as yeah. well. <laughs> yes. I also kind of don't like that there was a real slow burn on people standing up for her. You know, like he's sort of like, if you could stand up and honor her with me and like one guy gets up and then like another guy slowly and then finally everybody stands up. But it took them a little too long to sort of all appreciate this woman that they're all apparently there for for this like hospital wing dedication. But also, how did he know that everybody there was an orphan? I think he did it. He looked surprised. So did Mora like when when they all stood up. But no, he he said – he said, all of us are the same. We're mm. all orphans. And we were like, and I'm just like, how does he know that? Like, there's not people that work at the hospital and the facility. But, <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think you're still being too nitpicky. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is a Steven Spielberg film. He usually hits these points. I know, right. but like, I, like, think about if you give like a speech at a wedding or something, some of the things you might say. I mean, like. Oh my God! Let's move on. <laughs> I, think, move on. I think you've got. I think you've not even got a shovel. I think you've got a backhoe to dig here tonight. 
So again, the kids get kidnapped. We come finally back to your friend Phil Collins um, and his his bizarre um, trying to figure out. Uh, you know, I, I I don't necessarily have a problem with the logic that he thinks that this is like a kidnapping. That's like a plot on like the family's you know history tying in with the book. Because if you're any sort of rational human being, and there's like no thought that anybody could actually get to Neverland, and you're like at this storybook author's whatever's kind of subjects house i think that that adds up but what is weird is that they kind of all start like leaving really quick the police seems like they would leave a few people there (laughs) i don't know kind of kind of really odd but anyway wendy pulls peter aside to reveal to him that he's peter pan i did mention last time and i'm going to mention it again i really want a copy of the book that she has now what's interesting one of the things i saw said that the book that she had on her dresser is an actual original copy of Peter and Wendy. Wow. But I don't know that those illustrations would have been in that, those sort of full color illustrations given the timing. So they might be like joshing it around a little bit, but oh, those illustrations are so cool in that book. Really love the art style. <laughs> you know what kind of bothered me about that scene? Why was Moira not in the scene as well? Why why does why does him being Peter Pan need to be this big secret that his own wife can't know? Like I don't understand like well, what- for the reason I think you said, like probably like you know, you'd get that reaction of like Granny Wendy, you're going crazy, you know, like I, I think you'd you might have a little bit of that. But then it's also I think supposed to be like a private moment between the two of them because she sort of She's sort of alluding to the fact that they like kind of nearly had a relationship, but he wouldn't come back and stay for her. Obviously, later in the film, we get the reveal that like the final time he came back and stayed was for more granddaughter and her Beatles posters all yeah. over the wall. <laughs> um, you know, which I had, I had not realized were there until this watching. That's the funny part. I was really trying to be maven eyed about. Um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, little finer oh, details of things. I forgot. Like I've got two wordsmiths here tonight. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, the two of you with your vocabulary words. I haven't taken the SATs in 25 years, for God's sakes. The dumb part is, I think I just said Mavenide, and I think I meant Ravenide. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Um, uh, what is great is that, you know, there's a lot of little things and I've already skipped over a bunch of the notes that, um, you know, you obviously got yourself a little in trouble with it, with the, um, Chekhov's gun versus the, um, MacGuffin uh, traveling through these things here. There's a lot of Chekhov guns in the early part of, of this, uh, film, you know, uh, not the least of which is the watch that he gives to Jack. That's his sort of pocket watch. Um, and then he's got his hands on his hips quite a lot, which is sort of this Peter Pan character yeah. trait. And I love that little bit where it's like, he's like, he's not believing her, but he's got his hands on the hips. And then he and sees then the as picture, soon as he yeah. sees the picture in the book, he like drops him. That's <laughs> such a great, great moment. I love that. <laughs> so, um, Tinkerbell, right? So you're, you're one character that you like in the film. She's great. Julia Roberts is fantastic. I wish they gave her more to do. So now here's a, a fun fact. Yeah, wait for this, Michael. Tinkerbell. <laughs> um, Tinkerbell was very underwritten in the original plot and, and story of Hook. So Carrie Fisher came in and wrote all of her dialogue for her. Oh, really? How about that? I'll be be damned. Look at that. But really and truly, like, Julia Roberts is charming. She's lovable. She's funny. She's sweet. Like, and and she's, you know, essentially, obviously, she's a fairy, but like, almost like his voice on his shoulder kind of thing. And I, and 
in a way, she sort of tries to humanize him in a lot of cases as well. And I, and I love that. I think she's definitely the most interesting. I would see a whole movie of Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell and see her adventure. Yeah, my wife couldn't disagree more. She's like, Julia Roberts is terrible in this movie. Why didn't they pick her? And Julia Roberts <laughs> didn't even want to be there. Did you know this? Like, she was dating Kiefer Sutherland at the time, and she wanted to be, like, off hanging out with her boyfriend. Like, she was a real problem on set. They paid her a ton of money to be in this, and then she really? was, like, a huge issue for them. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there was no way wow. she was going to be there more. <laughs> you're you're ruining the magic. What a bummer. It is funny though that you've glommed on to, to to her specifically. And first of all, I do want to slightly back you up in saying I don't know that this is Julia Roberts' best role because no, no, she's no. done a lot of incredible roles. But it is my favorite Julia Roberts role, which is maybe not a surprise um, given my love for this movie. But again, I, I, I really, I think even as a kid, I think I had like a little baby crush on, on Tinkerbell as portrayed by Julia Roberts. And again, she just plays like a really kind of, as you just said, sort of like a sweet, fun version of this character. That said, along with characters like Maggie, I feel like she has some of the least to do in this film. Oh, by far, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I think that's an ongoing thing for us and female characters in these early 90 movies. But um, I think maybe to Adam's point, you know, like I think there's a lot of people that, that look at her character and go like, eh, you know, take it, leave it. Like she's kind of in there for a little bit. She has another, you know, this is kind of another likewise to your mermaids thing. You know, there's that scene later on in the film where she makes a wish and makes herself. Eh, you're jumping inside. forward, buddy. Yeah, well, but it's relevant <laughs> to what we're discussing. At least it's not where I'm just abstract jumping off. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll skip that note when we get to it. But for me, that part is utterly bizarre because it's just like, you know, like they're, they're it's almost like they wrote into her contract that she had to have one scene where she was life size or something. Yeah. It's kind of a weird plot point, but I digress. I'll, yeah, no, I'll no, come I, back. I, to I agree that that part is is kind of flawed to me. I mean, the, the benefit of that whole part is it helps him realize that he actually loves his wife, who we've seen all of two minutes in the whole movie and and not Tinkerbell, which, again, makes him kind of a jerk to her because like she clearly has loved him for eons. Well, and again, this is a different Tinkerbell in many respects than the Tinkerbell from the animated movie who was very jealous, very spiteful, almost to everybody's, you know, doom mm-hmm. at a point. Yeah. Um, so either she learned a lesson from that, but has still, you know, maintained her feelings for Peter in some respect or another, or we just kind of have like at least a little bit more of a fresh portrayal on, on what that character is. Um, so I don't know. Very interesting. But speaking of Tinkerbell, I love, love the effects for her size difference. And for the time, pretty impressive. You know, like her walking up his shirt and leaving the footprints or her in the dollhouse with him in front of it where they used a giant set to, um, you know, put her into the scene uh, juxtaposed against him. Very cool. I don't know. <laughs> the, the only one that was bad is when she's on the rocking chair in that little tree house. Thing. That's the only one you can tell she's clearly on a green screen of some sort because the again, way that- there's a few that I ran into. And again, I can't tell how much it is just because of that like 4k upscale thing. Like, you know, later on when she's conversing with hook and he's sort of behind her, very obvious that she's been like 
stuck on that little you know yeah. spot. But it's still, I think they managed to do a pretty darn good job given the way that they were were doing it. But it's just I, I look at it in a funny way though that like this is only two years before Jurassic Park, and then what like you see with <laughs> Jurassic Park, and you're just like, how did this? Like, how did this? become that you know again you, jurassic park lots of practical and effects. it was a major leap yeah. forward at the time the stuff they came up with yeah. for jurassic park i could be wrong quoting this so i might get somebody complaining on on social later i think there's something like 15 actual special effects shots in jurassic park the rest are practical okay fair so enough. it's it's you know it's it's less than you think it is you know believe it or not that said i totally agree jurassic park still holds up for all time and i can't wait to get to it but <laughs> that's that's another day in a few years okay um but here's michael's absolute sticking point tink knocks him out and takes him to neverland we don't know how we can't answer that for you, but it happens. <laughs> well, and, and the one thing I'll say, but, my rewatch on this, the only thing I noticed about that scene I'd never seen before, because I always like Maggie makes him the parachute. She makes him a hug. The parachute. The, I the didn't hug, realize yes. that he <laughs> fell into the hug, and that's what she pulled him up by. So she's carrying him by yep. the parachute to Neverland. And Tinkerbell is crazy strong. Yeah. Crazy strong. <laughs> well, he says that. I what will you, admit to, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love those little like weird lines like that. Um, I will admit to the fact that I figured that bit out with the parachute some years back, but it also took me multiple viewings to pick up on that. Yeah, I just thought it was a sheet all these years. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Which essentially it was, you know, she made the the parachute out of like a bed sheet. So, but yes, but she did a darn good job, you know, because it not only did Tinkerbell have the strength to hold him up, but that child sewn together, you know, (laughs) parachute did a good job holding him up as well. Um, but then again, he was weightless with pixie dust, so I don't know <laughs> the, the physics of these things. Sure, sounds great. Yeah. So uh, the music again, I, I, I sort of said last time, I'm going to give you a chance to to take back what you said because I mentioned last episode that the music, as composed by John Williams for this movie, is amongst some of my favorites and amongst some of his best scores. You said really, again, like post another viewing, you can't give some credit to some of this amazing sweeping score in this film here. Other and I okay. I, <laughs> oh man, you couldn't just give him that. It's John Williams. So, <laughs> you so, wouldn't be wrong by saying yes. <laughs> so you pointed the pointed out this music in our last conversation about this. So I paid close attention to it in many cases. Yes, it's <laughs> good. It's, it's not his best it's, work. I don't think. Pinky up. It's 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 subpar. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I put it next to the Rocketeer. When you need a theme that is about flying, right? Like that, you want yes. you want to get that 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 essence of flight in a musical score. Like to me, like this really plays that just as well as the Rocketeer theme does. So absolutely yeah. yes. And uh, just a fun note, and this is maybe the most known, or maybe second most known secret or cameo of hook is that as they fly over the bridge in london although i guess you didn't realize it last time michael when i was sort of maybe mentioned it 
Uh, they fly over a couple who's kissing on the bridge, and that is George Lucas and Carrie Fisher, who then go floating up into the I air. I didn't know so, that even. Wow. I, I, I was counting the cameos, yes. but that one I hadn't heard about. Cool. Yes. Yeah. No, this movie is packed with cameos, but that's, I think that one's a, a harder to, They're to so find. They're away. Just because you yeah. don't see their faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but at some point, very early on, somebody told me that. And I think it's just one of those ones where it, it's like, hey, did you know? You know, yeah. it just sort of spreads around like that. But we'll have some more cameos coming up uh, very, very soon. So... All right, so you had a question before, Michael, which is why on earth did Tinkerbell drop Peter off in Pirate Town? Um, And specifically, like, drop him, drop him. He seems to fall from the sky, you know. Um, I also have this question. I don't really have a good answer for it. (laughs) Uh, The only thing I can think of is that she must be getting tired because there's this weird transition between this next scene where they have the confrontation and they set up the war with Hook and then the very next time we see her, she's like asleep, even though it seems like it's only been about five yeah, minutes. Yeah. So a little oddity there, but I'm assuming she's exhausted from having brought him back from, from but Neverland. She got, but she got all <laughs> the way her. there. She's like, all right, well, the tree's about, you know, 75 yards away. Well, yes. guys, I, I think I have an explanation enough. for this. She's just taking him to where his kids are. I don't. That's that's ultimately yeah, my she guess. She hasn't yeah. accepted yet that he's not the pan of old. She probably figured once he gets to Neverland, he'll wake up and he'll be back to his old self, and he's not. And so that's the issue, I think. Is she's like, we'll get him to the ship. He'll walk to the ship, and then you know he'll be able to rescue his kids, but he can't. But 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 this this is a, a problem because to me, him saving her kid, him saving his own kids is not Tinkerbell's motivation for Peter Pan. She wants Peter to be Peter the kid again to love her. She could care less about his kids. I mean, that that's a good point, although I would say that she, in this case, like we said, the the motivation we see is not like the jealousy and like the overwhelming obsession. Like she's more like, I've always loved you. I care about you. And if I see your kids are in trouble, that makes me worry about you. So I'm going to help you type thing, you know, like, and then hopefully I helped you and then you'll love me because I helped your kids, you know, (laughs) that type of thing. I'll accept that argument. I'll accept it again. Dropping him off with, in with the pirates with no weapons, no help, no nothing, and not knowing how to fly was not her best decision, I would think. But okay. So in in the interest of time, there's an ongoing scene where he's traveling through Pirate Town. We see the hook. The hook gets delivered. And we have this kind of like, you know, he's trying to – he says, you have to fly up and touch your kid's hands in the cargo net in order to free them. Lots of great dialogue here. If you haven't seen Hook, go check it out. It'll be on Netflix January 1st, come to find out. <laughs> Was it really? That's <laughs> yes. on Amazon Prime Just a little right short now. Of That's where I watched it. Even though yeah. I have um, so, <laughs> Oh, there you go. Um, so, again, great you know series of stuff in this. Just to mention another cameo that, that some people don't realize, the – the famous Boo Box pirate is famously played by Glenn Close um, in a in a kind of gender bent and and you know really chameleon role. You would not be able to again. I don't think guess that's her until you know that. And I can tell you this: that according to the novel, that pirate's name is Gutless. Gutless the oh. pirate, played by Glenn Close. Also, there's the other pirate who gets shot through the checkbook, right? So yes. Peter Pan's like, all right, yeah. how much? You know, he pulls out his weapon, his checkbook. That pirate 
is the cook named Sid. And in the book, everybody's kind of happy that he got shot because the food is terrible. <laughs> yeah, but now what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> now so, they're all, all out of it. So at any rate, to jump a little bit forward, they they realize he's not going to become Peter Pan. He fails his kids. He's too afraid to reach far enough out because of his fear of heights. He has to walk the plank. He falls off. You're mermaids, you know? So <laughs> Again, kind of a strange scene where the mermaids come and are like breathing water to him and then send him up in the shell. Do you have anything for us, I Adam? mean, really, it's pretty much exactly the same as the film, like, you know, where it just says, underwater, Peter was sinking like a stone. His lugs felt as if they were about to pop. Just as he was blacking out, a beautiful face appeared in front of him. A mermaid. She took Peter in her arms and gave him a big kiss. Suddenly, he felt that he could breathe again, even though he was still underwater. Another mermaid came up and kissed him, then another. Soon, he wasn't drowning anymore. Two of the mermaids grabbed his arms and began to tow him away from the Jolly Roger and then to the shell and everything. So, yeah, there's really no explanation All right, so, like, to answer – yeah, to answer some of that question, because it's funny. I'm trying to think. Was it in the animated one, weren't the mermaids, like, kind of a – antagonistic character weren't they kind of not yeah good? they like splashed wendy and stuff and they were like really yeah they, yeah. they, they, they had bad attitudes because they seemed to like peter although maybe they like yeah, peter, everybody thing. yeah so maybe that's why they're helping him <laughs> i remember in the video game i think they like help you if you fall into the water in a certain level they like push you back out of the water or something but like it is bizarre it is especially like watching it now it's a little odd and awkward particularly because he does have such a, this like happy like I'm hooking up with mermaids face. Hey, all I'd time. be happy. Hey, right up. So I again point Michael here. I will give you that one. It, it is a weird little thing. They stick him in this shell and send him up to the Lost Boys tree, where again, utterly bizarrely, Tinkerbell is now completely fast asleep. It's almost like they are missing some scenes here between there. I don't really know what would have been missing, but it seems like some transition of time was expected to go by that he was either under the water longer or something. Or, or, or just Tink like, was just like, that's the end of Peter. He drowned. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Might as well go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, because she's like, she gets like startled awake, you know? So it's, it is a weird little and I, I do have to mention one thing real quick to. as we move off the mermaids. The strangest thing to me is there were Happy Meal toys for Hook, right? So there, there was, you know, a Peter, there was a Rufio, there was a Hook in a boat, and there was a mermaid, which I've had for years. I always thought it was a Barbie <laughs> toy. But it was, it's from a hook. Oh, I just looked it up and I was like, why? They were in the movie for like 30 seconds and they got a toy. In the well, speaking game. of toys, because I know you're an avid collector yes. of ye oldy retro good stuff. Do you still have any of the I, toys? The only one I have now is Rufio. And I just found him at a thrift store. My old ones I lost, but I had like the the tall terror hook with the extending legs. <laughs> I had the flying Peter Pan. And like there were so many more figures, but I don't I don't remember seeing as many of them. The other lot, Well, it's yeah. funny because like I feel like they had like an initial run of them and they were real janky looking, right? Like they kind of don't really resemble I mean Hook was pretty much Hook, but like Peter had like a headband and like the slick yeah, back I don't hair. Think they had the light and Rufio lights. like quasi resemble it's yeah. almost like they took took like you know a failed toy line from something else and repainted it which is 
you know, was yeah, new if it back was in the better, day. I would believe it, but this was Mattel that put this together. I think they were just rushing it, but they did so many because in addition to like, you know, a lot of Lost Boys, they had like this guy Ace, who's the one with the top hat. He's barely in the movie yes. or does have speaking lines at least. But then they did, they did a thud butt figure. They did a Smee yes. figure. They did a Croc figure. Like they did a lot. And there were so many variations on Peter Pan himself. And so like they, they really expanded the line, but I only ever saw that first wave as a kid. So I was telling Michael, I don't think the toy line for whatever reason ever really got me. And I think because I'm not trying to sound snobby when I say it, but I think even as a kid, I had like a discerning eye and I looked at that and I was like, this doesn't look like the movie. (laughs) And I think I was kind of put off by it, but I so, so wanted the Peter Pan battle sword. And like, I was like, trying and trying and trying forever to find that never was able to. And Michael and I were looking it up last week that, that, you know, you can find them on eBay for like 150 ish or so dollars. So I might consider it down the road, but what's funny is I did in a little bit more research, trying to find some more, um, you know, toys or tie-ins to this. I actually found a um, auction that happened last year in August where the actual sword from the movie was auctioned no way. off. Wow. And, Yes, uh, it's on, um, what is this, props2reauction.com? <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird Very name. Very literal. <laughs> so assuming this can be believed that this was the actual one that, that went on there, um, it went for $18,000. What? Well, it's made yes. it gold, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and it's, it's pretty cool because they're showing like these kind of nice up-close pictures of it and sort of like how it's like weathered over time. And overall, it looks pretty good. It's kind of got some paint missing on um, like the the kind of like the hilt and things like that. Well, see, and if, you know, um, I heard you mention that, that yeah, that was that holy grail item. And for me, yes. like what I wanted, because the star of this movie for me, again, was Hook. And I got, as a kid, the Tri-Hook which I don't know if you even know about this, but it was like a Swiss army (laughs) Captain Hook hook that had like a hook. It had a knife. It had these different things that came out of it. (laughs) That's amazing. And I got it because for my 10th birthday party in 1992, I had a hook themed party where all my friends had to come dressed as pirates. And we attempted to film a sequel movie at a public park with me in full (laughs) hook regalia. Okay. Like I, Peter Pan was not the star. Like I said, Dustin Hoffman was the one that I wanted to emulate. Right. And maybe too well, because apparently according to my mom, I was a real prima Donna trying to star (laughs) and direct this movie on the family camcorder. (laughs) And it led to let's call tensions on the set. And my mom has always said, such a nice boy growing up except for that one birthday party where you were a monster <laughs> i think all of us yeah. when we were kids had that one, one birthday, birthday where we were sort of terrible yeah. and so there's no photos there's no video footage i probably recorded over it with the simpsons that party is like best forgotten <laughs> that's so funny that is uh, now the bummer of this is like I, i'm trying to still see if i can dig it up on this same site i had found before now i can't find it again for some odd reason they also had Hook's wig, which might be of particular interest yes. to you, and the hook mm. they had on there as well. Believe it or not, both of those went for less than the pan sword. I think the hook went for something like 12-ish, and the wig went for something like 5 I mean, or something, but I can't find the it again now to verify The teaser it. poster, you know, like I that's know. iconic <laughs> image. Come on. Now, now, here's a funny question. I could have sworn when I first saw the movie – like 
he has multiple things that he puts in there. Yeah, I know he does the he baseball does. glove, but he does the baseball glove. But I only remember him seeing the the hook. Otherwise, yeah, I he, he has, has like other things that, that he, he has the chalk the, on. The ice yeah. pick, yeah, with the chalk. Yep, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he got a few goblet. others like that. And when that Peter's pop up. going to steal it, he has the goblet one that he's putting on. It's it's real fast right. going by because it's upside down when he's clicking it on. But yeah, it's pretty wild. Which is such a funny – actually, I, it's even a good point to bring this up because I was about to bring this up in the notes of the, the movie that I was going to mention. Um, Tinkerbell starts to wake up the Lost Boys and they're chasing him through the Lost Boys set. And one of the things that captured my imagination when I was a kid was that like sail skateboard yeah. they're like flying around yeah. on. And in my modern research, come to find out that is an electrified track that carries that – board around that's how it's able to like go up and down the ramps and things like that as it is um and so they built a lot of kind of like cool gadgetry for this film like so like hook included right like they kind of have this like disattachable thing where it keeps popping off the various attachments kind of a fun art design choice to do some of those things like that i feel like yeah that's cool I, I, I'm okay with that. Sure. Right. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. So we get the, the intro to a word that has become part of like the ongoing pop culture lexicon, which is bang away. Yeah. Right. We started off the episode with it. I'm sure we'll finish off the episode with it, but like it's, it's just become like almost larger than the film, like the inclusion of Rufio. I mean, I, I actually went, I don't know if either of you would have been as, as, you know, thirsty as me to, to go find some of these things. But um, something cool out there in listener land to check out is that Dante Basco, some years back, created a shot by shot recreation of uh, his final fight scene with Hook. 100%. Yeah, I was going to bring this up. Yeah, because it's super cool. Like, it's just like a kind of like a fan film thing, but they really did all their best. And the, the his outfit and everything is right on. And, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. It's like, it's fun because they use the, like, like when like Peter flies up to the rail, they have like a deck rail like at his place <laughs> or something that like he, it is so great. It's so wonderful. Um, and they did a pretty darn good job of getting it like shot for shot. The other one I want to point out is a short film called Bangarang, which is the um, origins of Rufio. This is a fan-made film. It's like 20-ish minutes long. Uh, also actually stars Dante Basco in an um, older adult role. Um, and there's a young Rufio that like you get the lead into why he leaves and goes to Neverland, essentially. It's okay, um, but I like it because it, it, it is – got some good heart behind it <laughs> as far as like actual quality of the fan film goes it's a little clunky <laughs> but um but it's fun it's it's worth you know checking out if you're into into hook you know <laughs> all right uh, fair enough yes um so, oh sorry go ahead I, I'm, tr- I'm i'm trying to reel in my dislike uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I spent the last, the first half an hour of, the, of this podcast complaining about this movie. Uh, I mean, again, I, I, you know, you, we talked about the, the hand a little bit and a couple of different things. We're sort of at the point where he gets to um, the 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 Rufio thing, and I love Rufio's hair. I think he's a great character. Um, 
I'm losing my train. Of Who's now. the shrub? <laughs> <laughs> That's a paramecium. Bro. Yeah, like to me, like they, there's like, so many embarrassing like attempts at creating slang in movies, and this is the one that, as a kid, does stick, like the bangerang and just like all the little moves. Well, so here's an interesting know. fact about bangerang, right? So bangerang is a Jamaican word, oh. um, and uh, originally Rufio was written. Basically Jamaican. Like if you read like the original like descriptor of him, he's got like dreads, you know, all this sort of thing. Obviously they ended up hiring Filipino Dante Basco to play the role. And I think it's amazing. And they sort of said the reason that they went with him is that like he truly scared them during like their audition, like as mm-hmm. far as that character goes. But bangerang is the Jamaican word for chaos. So like every time they're shouting bangerang, they're like chaos, you know, like, <laughs> which is so lost boys in, in, in the way that they portray it. So like, I, I get where they're going with that. So, you know, as you were saying with the, with the trash talking and everything, are we up to the point where we talk about the, the, the dinner part yet? Can we go we can there? get We can skip to that. So, I mean, to fill in a quick blank before that, there's some scenes back and forth where essentially Tink is trying to get the lost boys to help him. It cuts to Hook, who has the most incredible scene where he wants to commit suicide for some unknown reason. He's depressed, even though he's about to get his war. Oh, Great so between Diva Hook. Me and Hook. Yeah. Um, just, just an incredible scene. I always, still to date, constantly um, quote all the time. Don't try to stop well, got- me, Smee. Don't try to Smee. Get over here, yeah. Smee. Right, don't get your at. <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's- yeah. <laughs> and and Smee is one of the most fun characters in the movie. Yeah, like, Bob I think Hoskins kills he it. He kills it. He kills it. But like, I love he uses like his own earwax to fix his mustache. <laughs> this is so brilliant. <laughs> but like, so we get to the point where, um, where Peter is there at the dinner table. They're doing this whole imaginary food sequence. By the way, if you have a problem with this scene, you and I might stop being friends no, after no, no, tonight. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is like my favorite part of the movie. So to me, this is the part of the movie that actually is interesting. It's it's where the movie becomes interesting is this particular moment. And I'll tell you why. So as a kid, everybody uses their imagination. We will, you know, my children have their little play kid kitchen area where they pretend to make food or whatever. And you see all the kids having this fun, like eating chicken legs and whatever. And then, you know, they're making the trash talking. And then the moment where he flicks the food and the food magically appears on Rufio's face. And this moment where, where Robin Williams pulls the spoon down and he sees it for the first time. He has this childlike wonder in his eyes that he's starting to believe. And they even sort of say that in a little bit of an exposition in a way. They literally say it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to me, from here to the end of the movie is the best parts of the movie. Well, Everything sure. Yeah. Prior well, I mean, that, again, like this is the moment, right? This right. is like when he like forgets who he is for a moment in this like kind of moment of anger and passion and he's having the battle back and forth with Rufio, you know, over the, all the insults. And then yes, like he imagines and he wakes up to it. And again, like I, that's why I say like the, the moment where that all c- comes apart still gives me chills to, to date. You know, it's, it's such like, like a, as a kid, I can remember being like, Oh, like, you know, it's so cool. All this like weird food on the table. I love the thud, butt cheese. The like, you know, I want like, that prop. That's the one I want. <laughs> So, yeah. so many of the movies we've talked about, the third act is where a movie tends to fall apart. 
in this particular movie, I think the third act is where this movie begins to shine. Well, in a way, this is like the halfway mark. I don't know exactly where this falls, but this is like the halfway point of the movie, I think. Oh, my God. Um, Even if you just go by like the notes, like 122 (laughs) notes, we're at like, you know, like note like 70 or so, right? So like it's it's pretty much the halfway um, mark in the film. It actually is – I literally just clicked to it. I have it open. Uh, This is one hour and 18 minutes in to – All right, so yeah, a little over half, yeah. So actually, I really just want to put a pin real quick, though, because, Adam, you just said that that's like the one prop that you would love to have from this. So like, like really and truly, like I, I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie, like, is that your prop or you got something that like really sings to you? Because I have one in the back of my head that I actually would kill to have. And it's not actually, believe it or not, that it is the sword, too. But like, I've got another one that I think all is of my better. prop items are thud butt related. <laughs> anything to do was my like hero. the thud butt ball that yes, they used the to roll them ball, down like i want that you know in my backyard you know just like throw that around you know and like plus like just like i'll just mention it here but like thud butt to me i was like a burgeoning fat kid at this time who was starting to be made fun of and so thud butt was actually like a role model for me the way he's treated in the film like Absolutely. there's a few moments where and like a joke. spoiler alert that he's left in charge and yeah. everything was like it was cool like, as a kid yeah, the you know it's not what you got that you know and even though he does his weird like happy thoughts finger movement and <laughs> he's a little goofy in some points very sappy but he was just such a sweet kid and so yeah so anything that thud butt had to offer i would uh, i would take as my prop so oh to so the prop that i love the most out of this and it's it's maybe like a blink and you miss it moment they have the Jolly Roger in a bottle. It's like the ship in a the bottle. Toodles, I love that, that. one. That What's Toodles that? is looking at when he's going hook, hook when he wakes up. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if it's that or if you see it again. If there's another one that's on hook oh, ship. I can't three, remember which scene it's yeah, in. You might be right. But yeah. it's like the miniaturized version of the big scale mm-hmm. ship that they use in it. And I love that. I would kill for that to just be sitting on my desk. You know, super cool looking. Yeah, Toodles has it. I'm look. I scrolled back. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, because he's looking. Because he's freaking out, and they kind of like do a slow pan as he's freaking out, and you. Yeah, the one that Smee holds up is not in a bottle. He. That's just the model. Yes. But that's right. That's where I'm mixing the two. Yeah. But here's the problem with this. I'm looking at this shot. The teddy bear that we see in the tree. All right. It's conceivable that there's multiple teddy bears because Michael <laughs> had a teddy bear as well. <laughs> no, because the one know, in the, the teddy tree, if, if you want a actual. But the one that Peter finds is Peter's teddy bear. I think, I don't think that's supposed to be Michael. It is. No, it's his, yeah. it's his, that's why. He, Peter finds his teddy yeah. bear. Toodles has a teddy bear, but if you want to break your brain over all this, <laughs> Teddy bears don't exist until Theodore Roosevelt, which is way after Peter Pan. So it's all it's all no good. <laughs> okay. So anyway, no. Before we look, just before we jump, Michael, do you, I, it, maybe I'm like asking for like no reason whatsoever, but do you have a prop that you would like from Hook? If <laughs> if maybe just to burn as an effigy, <laughs> the original script. I don't know. Maybe uh, honestly. One of the coolest things that I remember from this movie that I thought was a a neat little prop was when Hook gives Jack the Hook earring. Oh, 
Oh, he's about to. Yeah, but like, and we're about to get there in the story, but like, just that box of earrings and that hook one just would look, not that I would ever get an earring myself, but it just looks cool and it's like a neat little, tiny little nuanced thing. Um, I really like that. I also liked the funny hat that the the guy with the that, that goes into a ball, like his little beret that he wears with the pom It looks like a State Puff Marshmallow <laughs> Man hat. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. So funny. I wish there was some context as to where they came up with some of the names of some of the Lost Boys. Like, And maybe you even know some more of them from the novelization. I picked up on a few extras. Like the twins are like um, – I think it's like – like now and later or something like that are their names, you know, and like, there's like, you know, like uh, I think one of them, I thought his name was donuts, but I think his name might also be don't ask or something like that. Don't ask, which I don't get. Don't ask what? (laughs) So I can fill that in for you. And it's the dumbest little writing gimmick. I found a bunch of deleted scenes from hook and actually believe it or not, this might be of interest particularly to you. Although I found them kind of mediocre. Most of the deleted scenes I found were further scenes with Hook. Basically, <sighs> other scenes with him trying to convince Jack. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, there's a scene with him where he gives him a bunch of baseball cards. There's a scene with him walking around yeah, Pirate Town and showing him some of the places. You know, so there's a bunch of things yeah, like that. But there's the book, a scene yeah. where Peter is meeting the Lost Boys and they're introducing themselves. And we get Ace's name. Mm-hmm. Ace talks to him and introduces himself, sort of leads it off. Um, and some of the others introduce themselves, and uh, that's where I picked up at least some of these uh, extra names <laughs> from that was from this deleted scene. But again, like all the deleted scenes, as is usual with deleted scenes, I could see why they cut it just purely for how slow, <laughs> you know, it, it you know, yeah, well, drags it, everything um, down to. They left in like pieces of it. And so like I'll just bring up a couple real quick just because we're about to get to them anyway. Yeah. But like, for example, like so the idea, you know how like from this point on, Peter starts regressing, right? He starts becoming Pan. He starts, you know, like this this moment at the dinner scene is kind of the beginning of that. But what they never explain a hundred percent is to why he starts like just like being Peter Pan from the old days, like a hundred percent. And in the book, it's mentioned that it's because Neverland makes you forget your life. Well, there's a line like that. You know, Maggie um, says Maggie says that. Yeah, Maggie says to to Jack, she goes, never forget. Neverland makes you forget. Oh, okay. The the run home moment. Like, she tells him to run home. Neverland makes you forget. How she knew that... Is, is a wild card question, a major plot hole that yeah, makes no sense. She's, she's she always trying to remind him, and she's super annoying about it throughout the movie. But, but why does she know it? But Smee. Well, because I think you see this happen with Jack throughout the film, too, right? Like, yeah, obviously, as he starts becoming like indoctrinated by Hook, he forgets who his father is. He can't even recognize his right. face at a point, you know? But, but how, how come Maggie doesn't? Yeah, why does she? Why I know. Yeah, well, it's her? an interesting. It's an interesting <laughs> thing. And again, I'm not going to say that it's not like the most overdeveloped thing, but children's movie. <laughs> yeah. You could also ask why, like Wendy or Toodles, have certain different recollections than Peter. You know, so I don't know. There's 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 questions, but I don't think that they're important questions to the film. Like some of the other ones where we get so stuck. 
Yeah. Um, Mr. Spielberg, what, I don't know, sir. What, one thing that I'll mention, because uh, it, it happens when Peter shows up to talk to the Lost Boys for the first time during that introduction scene, is, you know, eventually, like you said, Maggie's random song she sings was part of the musical version. But when Peter goes to rescue Maggie, there's like five other kids behind her without I have that in my notes. I, and it's funny, I noticed that again this time, yeah. and I was like, who are these kids? So in the, the only thing I can think of was that they were like, you know, kids that had been abducted by them or something. Yeah. So, so this is what they say here. So it says uh, that uh, it's, this is Ace talking. It's like, I know Ace said he'd get the Lost Boys back. Peter looked at the group of ragtag boys, but aren't you the Lost Boys? He asked. Yeah, but there's more than this. Don't ask. Told him. Hook catches a lot of us when we're not looking. Then he shoots us out of cannons. He makes the little ones crawl the plank. Too small added. Peter thought that sounded like a very mean thing to do to a little, a little boy. <laughs> we're afraid to rescue them without Pan. No nap told him. Even Rufio. Too small added in a whisper. So it's one of those. All things. right, now you want a really interesting tie-in to what you just said. Yeah, word for word, that's in that deleted scene I'm mentioning. Okay, except, and this may be a change in the junior novelization. Instead of it being extra lost boys, they say that there's Indians and that oh. they capture the Indians and fire them out of cannons. Oh yeah, good thing they super changed that. problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I think even super problematic for the 90s, least less even now. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's why, in part, that scene got got cut. Because obviously, you know, Tiger Lily and, and those characters are, that, are missing, yeah. you know. So I think that's one of those things that, that even somebody at that point had the foresight that, like, this is not – makes sense to do. I, I lost my train of thought. I, was, I, I have so many thoughts <laughs> and I'm trying to, to like – put them into a, a cohesive argument here. Um, all right. So that must have hurt. It's like uh, lightning struck your brain. <laughs> now. Okay. So, all right. I, this is where I wanted to go with this. So we've gotten to a point now. Are we near where he formulates the plan to go after him and get his kids back? Or, or where are we here? Yes. Yeah, so, so want? he's, he's now progressing. He's starting to learn things. I think he's still, he's, still hasn't flown. Obviously that comes in a little bit. Um, But uh, what they do is they come up with a game as they call it to go steal hooks hook, which will make him crow. He sort of has this list of things that will get him back to being Peter. Is that explained in the movie? Cause I don't remember that. I remember them going to do it. And the, you know, the three kids stacked up on each other, joke and all of that. But did they say specifically he needs to do it to get his. Okay. Yes, yeah. As, as like sort of the lead into that scene is there. He's like, "Why are we here?" And they're like, "Steal hooks, hook, and it'll make you crow." You're like, "You'll be proud." Yeah, because they're, um, they're in the novelization, they go into that a little bit more about all his disappointments, and there's a big conversation about, well, what could we possibly do? Oh, he could do this. He could do that. No, if he steals hooks, hook, then he'll be super proud of himself. So then he'll be yes. able to crow. Okay. Yeah, they have like I, I'm mixing like the order, but I think he goes like steal hooks, hook. You'll be proud. Then you can crow, something like that. Like, but okay. like they they say that, and then like almost immediately, uh, co- coincidentally at the same time as this baseball game yeah. uh, that you were pointing out last time in your recollections, Michael. That <laughs> uh, the one where Maggie says, "Run home, Jack, run home," you know, yeah. like, um, and and he finally, being the absentee father, is like, "Oh, I actually do want to watch my son in the baseball game," and just like 
he basically has the hook in hand but doesn't bother. He start, stops to watch the game and becomes upset because uh, Hook, when, when Jack hits a home run, he's like, my son. And he's like, no, my son, you know. Uh, and he hits a ball into the atmosphere, which yeah. is important in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Does that answer something for you? Yeah. No. Okay. Yes, but, <laughs> but like, but okay. So I wanted to talk about this part because this is actually a very compelling part of the movie, and one of my favorite moments is is this whole like him realizing that he's losing his son. Well, so yeah. So this is where it comes together. The baseball comes back out of orbit. He's trying desperately to fly because he's so upset now. He realizes he needs to go try and save his son. So the same ball that Jack hit like way into the atmosphere comes down and clocks him on the head. He falls down. And when he sees his reflection in the water, he sees his younger self. And I think the argument that they're going for here is that the knock on the head, a little plot gimmick that's been used in a million things over time, has essentially soft rebooted his memory. Um, because yeah. he then quickly um, finds his, he sees his shadow. His shadow disattaches. He follows his shadow to the old hideout in the tree. Right. Yeah, and I got to say, this is the part yeah. for me that has made me reevaluate how much of this movie I enjoy. Where it used to be a hundred percent enjoyment, it gets down to fifty percent <laughs> from this oh, point no. forward. <laughs> Seeing Robin Williams play a little kid, it's the same reason I never saw the movie Jack that he starred in, where he literally plays <laughs> uh, a kid. Jack's, you know, and, and like yeah, I just watched sucks. Elf today, and there's a difference between Will Ferrell being an elf that acts like a little kid and does all that to being uh, a an adult who regresses into a child and then we're supposed to root for him being a little kid again. Like it is, it does not work in this movie at all. Well, it's an interesting transition too. And I, I I want to like, just like coast through it. Right. Because what we, we have this arc of Peter through the movie where at the beginning he has zero recollection of Peter Pan whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then as we progress and he starts doing these various things, you can see that he's got like hints of remembering And then when this happens, he's both Peter Banning and Peter Pan in that moment. He remembers his childhood, but he also still is the adult. It's not until he finds the kiss and flies through the roof that he truly becomes Peter Pan again. And when that happens, Peter Banning is gone until Tinkerbell reminds him about it. Like he is he's like full on like, Tink, what's going on? Like where like. He's lost it. So, like, he had this total reversal in that little um, period of time. But obviously we have this, you know, very kind of poignant set of scenes where we finally get the explanation of um, – we get the big Tinkerbell. We get the, we get the explanations of the, the, what um, him going back. What doesn't actually is the flashback to him as an infant, and he remembers his <laughs> feelings. He remembers well, everything that, about his the, mother. One thing that even as a kid I think I questioned about that particular scene is that he said he ran away rather than, like – his pram blew down a hill. <laughs> yeah, it does not make sense. <laughs> like, but, but here's the other part of that that really bothers me about this movie. The mother is sitting there. The stroller's running away. Oh, I'm just going to sit here and have my tea and just chilling out. All good. No big deal. Like, 
Why would the mother not run after yeah. the, like look like Well, this is I, honest to goodness, this one thing is the thing that I maybe have the most number of problems with in the film. Not for the least of which is if she takes a baby to Neverland, the baby stays a baby. It doesn't grow up to become right. Peter Pan. So like there's no reason that he couldn't have been a little bit older. That pan that we see, that's the young pan. Yeah hearing his mother saying like, I'm going to send him away to Oxford and all this that she's saying and him getting afraid and then literally that older kid running away. So this was very odd and questionable to me. This, I will give you, I didn't really understand. I still don't understand it, but Hey, I really, Paltrow. I, mean, yeah, I, just, I don't know. Are you far <laughs> enough in your novelization? Do they talk about this in the novelization of it? No, it, it's almost, it's, it's exactly the way it is in the movie, which is like, this is like, I wonder if I could dig one. up and it wouldn't yeah. be helpful for us here tonight, but I wonder if I could dig up the screenplay of hook and see if they like describe a different scene. Cause you know, sometimes the scene that you have in the screenplay ends up a little bit different and they might've gotten this idea to, to have him in the, in the pram and whatever. It, it's really bizarre. I don't really understand the baby end of things. I would have been totally happier with them using that young Peter Pan that they hired to do the couple scenes that we see him in at that age already. And that would explain why, you know, he, he is what he is. So I don't know. That's if there's, if there's a, a, plot hole that's not a that's a kids movie plot hole to look past i feel like this is definitely one of those um because yeah, it just it, does, it doesn't make any in the, sense in the rules set up in their own universe it doesn't make sense you know um so anyway uh forgetting that for a moment just to go back to the the nice thing i love him finally remembering he's got you know his his taddy he remembers he wants to be a daddy remembers jack's birth you know and that's why he decides to go back and he bursts out of the tree. He's he does the Batman on the bat pole thing where he's himself, you know, in like the banning outfit. And then he's Peter Pan. The only way I can explain that off is the same way that his clothes are clean after the food fight, which is that the the food was imagined and he's imagining himself in well, the Well, I, I paid so attention to that also. But to me, like in, he's wearing a weird smock in the food fight scene that I think they put over him as an explanation. Cause yeah, afterwards he walks down and he's got his suspenders on his button down shirt yeah. and everything. So, but no, no, he was in a smock there, but I think, yeah, to your point, I think it's just like the magic of it all, you know, like you can, well, the other backup I have for this is again, if you go back to that original SNES game and I know you guys aren't the biggest gamers, <laughs> I, I, I think what, as wizards progresses forward, there needs to be a gaming segment where I just pop in every once in a while to, well, to they, chat they about that, that kid that was writing the articles. Yeah, you can put it in the, in the mini <laughs> oh, episodes. No, 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 no. But um, kind of like um, uh, there's a couple other video games of this time that would do it where like you'd get injured and that first injury was free. And then if you got like hurt the second time, whatever, you lose it. So there was like a heart meter. And if you were killed while you're pan, you reverted to banning in the, in the oh. suit outfit. And then you, you, you did like when he falls off the, uh, the plank, he kind of like falls off like that same sort of thing. So that's why I, there's a part of me that thinks that like he's imagining it. And when he gets like stuck or whatever in the game, he reverts back to banning, not pan anymore. So there's my, there's my little weird lead into that. <laughs> I, I also will point out that when he is Peter Pan and it, like they have that dancing around scene with all the other Lost Boys, 
I did not like his weird hair. And, and <laughs> no, it's all it's all gelled it's, up. But it's and, yeah, wind blowing. It's the it's the wind it's, blowing through his hair. It's, it's this weird like reverse Wolverine kind <laughs> of. Tinkerbell even <laughs> says it like you know like you know the, she says it when she picks him up like the smell of you know Someone like who's flying the back the of the wind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, one final cameo to mention um, while he's at home and he is seeing Wendy the various different times, he runs into a very young Gwyneth Paltrow as Wendy. Yes. Pretty cool. I had to look that one up. I was like, wait, is that Gwyneth Paltrow? And I Googled now, it. And she had it. Why Gwyneth Paltrow? Spielberg's goddaughter. Hey. <laughs> She's Hollywood royalty. She's connected. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> But she did a pretty darn good English accent. I'll well, give her that. Yeah, for that one love. word, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she nailed it for like one sentence. For that one, but, one word, in fairness. <laughs> but, but I feel like she's more interesting than grown-up Moira, who gets like, again, three minutes of screen time in the whole yeah. movie. And we're supposed to feel like he still loves his wife, but yet he kisses the mermaids, he kisses Tinkerbell, he essentially forgets about her for a brief. Well, look, what time. happens in Neverland stays in Neverland. All right. <laughs> so, but he was a creeper from day one because if you look at the flashback where he kisses Moira, she was asleep, and and that yes. is, I mean, obviously he was an innocent. He doesn't know any better, but. You're going to tell me she didn't wake up and scream the minute she saw him? Like, she felt that. Well, and Wendy let it happen, man. You know, like. (laughs) You think if, like, Wendy is, like, the moral compass for all these children, she would have taught him. That's that's a no-no. Yeah, well, I, the funny there. part is she turns him down for giving her a thimble, and he's like, no, a real kiss. I'm going in. You know, she's like, oh, all right. Yeah, he's been thinking about it. He's like, yeah, sorry, old lady. This is the one. <laughs> I don't know. It's. There's a lot. <laughs> All right, let me get us back on track. So yeah. he reconnects with the Lost Boys, who are now super excited that Pan's back, Pan's back, right? Um, and he claims the sword, draws the line, crows, finally crows, right? Actually, it reminds me of something I wanted to mention before that I totally forgot, which is the scene where uh, when he first meets the Lost Boys, sort of it ends with Rufio like like launching forward and bringing the sword like right down to like his nose and his forehead. Great Interesting shot. filmmaking fact. That's shot in reverse. And Dante Basco had to learn the line in reverse and then dub over it later. So if you look real closely, his mouth doesn't quite match. Wow. Really? <laughs> but they start with the sword like on his nose and face, and then he reverses in real life. Wow. And then they just reverse the footage. So fun little wow. pan sword fact for you. There. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, so we're prepping for the war. Bah, 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 this bah, is the bah. best. I love all the armor, <laughs> the suiting up, like all the different I, mechanisms. Love this stuff. So like cool. the funny part is, is like I was watching something or another that was talking about that. Like critics at the time were complaining that it was like really unoriginal and like you know, like kind of just like you know, like whatever. And I'm like, this is the type of stuff in this movie that it's like, what were you watching? Like they were doing so much fun, creative stuff. Like the set designers, the costume designers, everybody on that had to be having a ball making all this yeah stuff. the weapons you know like all everything. these just bizarre lost boy inventions that like you know it's all harmless it's like a paint gun and an egg i love the egg launcher <laughs> with the chicken in the top of it that honest to goodness is my absolute favorite one the marble launcher which is great because it, it you know ties into the ongoing saga of the lost marbles throughout the film yep. 
um, their little paddle boat ship that they used to get over there, which was a toy as well. Well, and here's um, what I want to say about this. So when they, you know, go for their siege on the Jolly Roger there to attack, it looks better to me all like the giant leaps, you know, the launches of the Lost Boys jumping on the ship looks so much better than all the flying effects for Pan in this. So, so okay, I wanted to talk yeah. about that because I'm like, they're Lost Boys. They can all fly. Why do they swing in as opposed to fly? All right, Pete, let's hear it. <laughs> so in a behind the scenes, they were talking about this. All the boys, or at least most of them, got flying lessons. They put them on wires and were training them for it. However, per pan, they were unhappy with how it looked, especially when there was multiples of them flying. So they converted it over to them using zip lines and uh, – catapults and things like that instead so essentially they weren't happy with how it looked and that's that's why now all right i I gotta talk about this because we talked about the armor sequence and everything and when we go through the armor sequence there appears to be a significant amount of lost boys also when they're cheering there's a significant amount of lost boys but as the fight ensues there's like eight of them (laughs) Like eight or ten. Definitely Lost Boys extras that we don't. Yeah. Well, so I mean, even if you look around like the Lost Boys encampment, there's your like eight or so like primary Lost Boys, and then there are extras just about. And most of them are actually surprisingly older. If you start really looking at the crowd, it's a lot of like like teenagers. teenagers. Yeah, like a lot of like Rufio sized people. Um, they come and go as the story requires. I did notice no. that. Yes. Yeah. There's like, there, you should think that there's essentially like way more pirates, particularly like given the, um, the pirate town militia or something like that. They call it that, that gets called up who are basically all just like laying like, <laughs> like groggily around. And then they start ringing the bell to wake them up when the war, um, jumps off. But, um, so they have this where, uh, hook is about to give Jack his first earring. It's a very special moment in a pirate's life when they receive their first earring and it's really going to hurt. And the reason it's really going to hurt is if you look at his hook in that scene, it's pretty damn blunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a very it's sharp like a rounded point, rub, like-, like the ones you would get, like the plastic one at the toy store. It's not really got a sharp point on it at that point. You're like, Oh, this is going to hurt. Like, heck. he's like, this is like as much. big as your whole, like, like ear hole. I'm going to try and stick this through your lobe. It's not going to go well. <laughs> um, and Peter cuts a Peter shaped, you know, um, Peter, in, for lack of better descriptor, in the in the sail and floats through. You know, um, and and the war is on. All right. So um, again, like I, I think that this is a, especially from a kid's point of view, a really fun swashbuckling battle. Um, you know, if you watch some of the choreography as an adult, it's definitely a lot of like clang, 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 clang. It's not like, like super duper, you know, like really thought out fight scene, I guess. But also 99% of the fight between Hook and Rufio and Hook and Pan, Hook is shot from behind. Oh, yes. Almost, there's literally one moment where you see Dustin Hoffman. I mean, what I will say about that is in at least the making of stuff, um, him and, and Robin Williams are learning the choreography and they're doing it like sans like costume and everything. So like 
no matter how much ends up ultimately being, um, you know, stunt people, which uh, who knows, um, they are in there learning it and training it to an extent. Yeah, because I, I did the attention. Yeah, so in some of like the spinning and stuff that Dustin Hoffman, yeah. I was like, that's Robin Williams. So I'm almost certain that is also Dustin Well, like, Hoffman. yeah, like yeah. when Robin Williams picks up that one guy and like spins around in the circle and the swords are like, like that's Robin Williams. Like they showed yeah. it even the behind the scenes shot. It's like, Dang, that guy lifts, you know? Like, well, he went to Juilliard. I'm sure that he at Juilliard, they had a fencing class, and I'm sure he yeah. has learned some sort of play. But I, I got to ask this other question. How did Peter Pan, or Peter Banning, or whatever his name is, go from Fat Peter to Fit Peter in three days? They did days? the workout. You saw the whole workout <laughs> montage. They had... They, they starved him and they did a well, workout. We don't really know how time works in Neverland. Remember, there's some oddities <laughs> in time in Neverland. <laughs> Maybe it's that, that never diet. It's pretty uh, It's pretty thin. <laughs> I guess so. Um, the fight scene between Hook and Rufio. Um, Peter is about to intervene, but uh, he has to go off and rescue Maggie with the kids we mentioned before. Um, presumably extra lost boys. Uh, and we have the loss of Rufio. Um, this killed me as a kid. I mean, like Rufio is one of these funny characters where like, as you're watching the movie, there's moments where you hate him. There's moments where you love him. And certainly at this point in the movie, you're like, all right, him and Pan, they're a team. They're going to do this. And then, oh, unexpected. He dies, you know, like, and for like a kid's movie, like I was not ready. I was not prepared as a kid for that. Yeah. You know, like that really was like, oh no. Yeah, and especially too because he ends it on that line where he's like, "I wish I had a father like you." And it's like, oh, the feels. <laughs> no, you, no, you don't, because your his father's a dead. <laughs> he's the worst well, father. Yeah. You don't want him to, to your be point. Your just from a filmmaking perspective, there's a moment just before he dies where they're kind of fighting back to back, Pan and Rufio, and they come together like with their swords, like they're split yes. on either side of the swords. Like that is, I love that shot. That's such a good yeah, shot. Yeah, they give themselves like that big grin, and then they go back to it. Yeah, yeah. awesome. And this is where this is like the only moment that I like Peter Pan in this movie when he gets serious like you just killed Rufio and now he's coming after Hook like that is like drama for me like that I well it's interesting too right because like basically like Maggie's sort of like leave him alone he's like a he's like an old man sort of thing and like he's gonna leave him and he's like I'm gonna come for your children's children's children you know and he's like He's like, he's throwing the gauntlet down. This is it. So that's why he's like, he gets to do this and then he's like, final what? battle. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, complaint again. Compl- course, complaint again. Course. We have this big, you know, knockdown drag out fight with Hook and, and, and Pan. And Rufio has died. They leave his dead body on the boat. <laughs> that was the extra lost boys. Oh, wow. They carried him away. <laughs> Oh, well, because the pirates already surrendered so they could do whatever they want. But I love the line from Hook here, because, again, I don't think we've given Hook his fair due for how awesome he is in this movie. But there's a moment where he, you know, Peter basically says just as, you know, he's like they're negotiating. He's like, what do you want? He's like, just you. Like he's yeah. just like that's all Hook wants. It's all for pride. It's all just to take down his nemesis. What's and cool then, too, yeah. and I don't remember if it's that line, but there's definitely some other ones. And there, and this goes for several of the characters in this film. There's lines like that that like I remember so like iconoph you know like like 
bad form, good form, like like you know, like all that sort of thing that's throughout. Um, you know, I, Peter says to him something like, you know, like something, something. I, I, you know, Stabathy. I don't know. Like they, they kind of have like this like banter that goes back and forth at different points. All actual lines from Peter and Wendy from the very original J.M. Barry movie that they basically yanked close to word for word and stuck them um, into the film. So I thought that was like a really nice inclusion to be able to get actual lines from the original book as lines in in the film, you know, yeah. there. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a cool way to pay a little bit of um, homage. So, uh, you know, some of his, especially a lot of Dustin Hoffman's sort of like little things that he, you know, like, uh, like, like death is the next great adventure, things like that. Those are straight pulls from the original. Oh, book. Okay. So kind of a cool uh, inclusion. Um, this is going to fall into Michael's uh, plot holes, but the fight ends when uh, Hook is about to kill Peter. He's got him right up against the crocodile. He's got his hook up. He's about to smash it. And then Peter redirects him and he smashes the hook into the crocodile who starts emitting purple smoke and <laughs> kind of comes back to life. Um, grow- you know, like yeah, not weird. really like his head sort of like, you know, moves down, like, which could just be arguably him coming out of the bracing. The only thing that really says the crocodile is any version of alive is that after hook hooks gone, he does he a big burp. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I can't help you with that one again. I think that's for like the kids' lols at the burp and things well, like that. I, I gotta um, say, I love any scene just in that final scene with bad form. You said the good form, and then they're like bad yeah. for Jack's like bad form where he like scrapes Peter's arm with yes, his hook. Yes. Also, that he has the mini dagger that shoots out of his wrist, out like of his wrist. Yes, that is <laughs> those are my favorite mechanisms ever. Like when there's a mini gun or whatever, something comes out, or the remote control in uh, you know that John Ritter movie. Movie, oh, why am I stay tuned? You know, like, yeah. like he has a remote control that flips out. Like that's the best mechanism. I was just watching Vice Principles on HBO Max. The second season opens, that's a great series. And, and and they have that yeah. mechanism in there too. So, but anyway, I just had to bring that up because those but, are awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so so basically, you know, I have no problem with the crocodile eating him, whatever, or coming back to life. Is the problem that I have is we see the hook has punctured the outside of the crocodile. Why can't Hook from the inside <laughs> claw its way yeah, out? I know Adam was sort of like, you know, making this. this yeah, point that was earlier. my sequel, I, right? <laughs> I think the logic of this, again, at least in kids' logic, is if a crocodile eats you, you're just dead, not like alive <laughs> and trying to, you know, like get out of its stomach. You know, I think that's probably where that is, but. Um, and Spielberg's yeah. like, it's like Jaws. If Jaws eats you, same thing, giant shark. I mean, I'll tell you as a shark. kid, I didn't even think that deep. I wasn't even thinking like, oh, he can puncture his hook through it. I was like, oh, that crocodile's mouth is still wide open. Couldn't he just crawl back? Yeah, that, that's what I was always like. How do he get sucked in? That's what I always wondered yeah. as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And honestly, Again, like the rest of this movie, we don't need to talk about because at that, like once the, the Lost sure. Boys come up and he's like, who am I going to pass it to? And it's like, oh, everybody's doing the big eyes. Like, am I going to be the leader? Am I going to be the leader? And it's Thud Butt. Like that's yes. the moment. Thud is the leader. He's going to lead the Lost Boys and all that. But then then you have to sit through another, you know, a couple of minutes of this. Yeah. I mean, the ending is a little questionable. Like I think they didn't quite know how to wrap it up. And this goes to another deleted scene I'll mention as well. Um, Because you get like the kids, you know, Tinkerbell takes the kids back ahead. So she brings them in, they come flying through the window, they land, they see the mother's asleep 
And instead of just like being like, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom. Like they're like, oh, you know what we should do? Like get back in bed and cover ourselves completely. Just make you know, like she's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. there's that whole scene where like, you know, they discover that. And then on the flip side, you have Peter who oddly wakes up outside in the snow. Now, yeah. there's a deleted scene where he's like awake and he's like, I'm back, I'm back. And he goes to like the front door of the house. He's out in front in the street where we saw them get dropped off earlier in the film. And there's like a boy like watching him the whole time. And like he's being like that kind of like where you see him like flipping and climbing up the drain pipe and all this. He like runs up the steps. He's pounding on the door and he's like, oh, you're not answering. I guess I'll have to go find some other way to get in. And it's like this really long. It's almost like they said to him, you know, um, do some improv. No, and he started doing like that book. Robin Williams improv. That's what's weird. It's in the book. I don't know Is why. It interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I'm, I'm, cu- I'm glad you say it because it's, it's really awkward and I'm glad they cut it out. And then he runs finally to the point where he like does that flip over the back wall and finds the cell phone and, and climbs up the gutter and all that. But it was just so awkward. It's like, man, they don't know how to bring this plane into land, you know? But, but again, this goes back to, when Peter first goes to Neverland, why do they end up the pirates? Why, when Peter returns from Neverland, does he end up in the middle of a park in front of a statue of Peter Pan? Well, I think it's supposed and, to be in their yard. I think that statue. Maybe I could be wrong. I think the statue. I don't. Think maybe so. not. And maybe that deleted park. scene, you know, pushes that narrative. Um, but I, I don't know where it is. But he sees this, you know. Bob Hoskins, like, hello, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, whatever, like, you know, brooming snow or something odd like that. <laughs> um, now they do it. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but essentially that's, that's hook. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, again, I realize Adam, it, it sunk a little bit for you, you know, it went down a little bit. 50% though. Well, because, like, because so much of the movie focuses on Peter Banning and Peter Pan. And those are the least interesting parts of the movie. I'm just craving more hook. Agreed. Dustin Hoffman's performance is so fantastic. And the saddest part is I remember watching an award ceremony. I think it was the golden globes at one point and they were doing, they were giving him an award and they were showing all these different roles he'd played and they, put hook in there for a second and then it cut to him and he's like like he's so embarrassed <laughs> to have done this movie but i think it's just a fantastic performance he's so flamboyant <laughs> su- such a diva and i every word that, uh, that they wrote for him is fantastic it's so. true and honest to goodness like i'm in it for peter like again like uh, michael knows this about well, you me. have a peter, peter bias characters. Peter I, I am. <laughs> this is the reason I'm so into Spider-Man as a kid. This yeah. is the reason I I, 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 this is why I used to watch Pete's Dragon on loop. <laughs> For some reason, as a little kid, if somebody had my name, that was pretty magical to me. But, um, I, but I, I, I guess that's why I like Michael Knight. I guess go. could that be <laughs> nice? He's got a nice uh, Knight Rider mug. I just saw Knight Riders on Netflix. Now I got to go back and do some rewatching. I did. I saw that too. Um, um, I actually got this from Steven, nice. not this mug. Uh, you but, know, um, I was in it for for Peter, and not for nothing. Like if this was anybody but Robin Williams, who's like probably honest to goodness one of my you know him and Tom Hanks are like my all time. Like any movie they're in, I will watch it and watch it and again and again and again and again. Go see Greyhound. Um, But but, uh, again, like I'm in it for it for him. But Dustin Hoffman was incredible. Like Captain Hook in the animated movie. Meh. I kind of don't care. Captain Hook in Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Meh, I'm not there for you. (laughs) But like that Dustin Hoffman portrayal, the 
outfit, the way it all looks, the little like nuanced alligator teeth all along his hat. Go back and look, right? Yeah. Um, it's all there. I mean, like it's just such a performance. I love the little hook mustache, the eyebrows. I mean, like yeah, everything about him is so awesome. And and the only thing, like I one hundred percent agree with you that I wish they had done was more hook, more of him. I don't know what that looks like. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know in this particular story what more they could have really done with him because his motivation's a little muddled. You know, it starts off, he wants a war, but then he's like, oh, maybe I'll make his kid love me. And that's the ultimate revenge, not mm-hmm. killing him. But then he sort of loses that and has to revert. You know, so like he his own motivations are slightly muddled, but now after all this discussion, I want like, Hook to Electric Boogaloo, which is like how <laughs> Hook came to be Hook. Like where did this like because I would love to see like some like 1600s pirate ship get somehow sucked to Neverland. Yeah. And like like you know, just make like, a Pirates of the Caribbean sequel in a mashup. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I, I would Captain love to James know more Hook. about that character. But <laughs> as portrayed by Dustin Hoffman, so I don't know how they would necessarily do that anymore yeah. but <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna propose a question to you guys now i agree that the movie really should have ended when he handed off the sword and that's it we don't or care like at rest. least a lighter version of like him and the kids come through the window at the same time and everybody hugs and that's it yeah. <laughs> now i'm gonna add this to the show and i'm gonna throw this in and i know pete's answer already i assume i know adam's answer already but i'm gonna start this question on a scale of one to ten, what is your probability of rewatching this movie? Mine is zero. <laughs> I don't ever need to see this movie again, and I could live long enough to know that I would be good without it. My I mean, answer is yearly. Yeah, and for me too. It's, it's still going to be an annual watch because I could walk out of the room during the Peter scenes and get back in time for the Hook scenes, and I'll be happy. Look, uh, this is I. Even after everything we've discussed with you tonight, I still cannot wrap my head around why this movie just like not only like not that it's like yeah no it's not for me whatever that it like profoundly doesn't work for you this is a movie i feel like you could stick in front of any audience it's at least going to be likable like there's there's things to like about it yeah it's a long movie but you watch plenty of long movies so that's not the thing i just saw spider-man uh you know Far from home, whatever it is. No way home. No way home. You know, a Tinkerbell transporting people from planet to planet. I feel like with your comic book background, that's something you can get over. Uh, You know, like there's so much about this that's just like, uh, it's just so neutral. I feel like there's like something that like in it for everybody. I mean, like obviously it's built to appeal to kids as an adult. Yeah, maybe you're not like searching this one out all the time. Maybe the reason I am or Adam is is because we were so enamored by it as we were younger. Right. You obviously were very burned that you didn't get to go see uh, what you call it, Prince of Hides. Prince, Prince of Hides. I, I honest to go. I'm. I'm still. I, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to analyze this fallout. I think <laughs> the truth is is that you had envy for not going to see Prince of Tides, and I'm not going to let go of that theory. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it kills me that, that this is just not one for you because I feel like there's so many things, even if there's things that don't 100% work, I feel like there's so many things that do in this film. <laughs> but I, I also, I hate movies like Lord of the Rings or 
uh, anything. I think fantasy is your thing. I think you are not into the fantasy genre. I think you're okay with sci-fi. You're obviously good with drama and action and things. I think you draw the line at fantasy. When, like, swords and magic come out, that's kind of the, the quits for you. But, like, I do like Harry Potter, at least the not the first movie, but, like, maybe, like, three on forward because they take it a little more seriously. But, like, yeah, I just don't like fantasy. Like, it just doesn't do it for me. I, I can watch sci-fi stuff all the time, no problem. But it's just kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't do it. Yeah, for I me. think you're just not a fantasy guy. I honestly, I think that's probably, if, if there's anything you've said tonight so far that sells me on why you wouldn't like this, it's that. Because I've known for, about you for a long time that fantasy is not your shtick. So, yeah. so anyway, we've gone... Way longer than we <laughs> normally do in this podcast. I, I don't know. Well, this might not be the longest ever, but it's getting close. <laughs> but but regardless, you know, Adam, thank you so much for adding some sort of balance to our uh, dichotomy in this. To in quote this Derek Smalls in This Is Spinal Tap, I feel like my role is to be like lukewarm water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy I had some support here. You know what I got to do? Oh, I got to yeah. hold this up. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Times I was right, is, nobody listened. Yeah, this is a like notebook people. Michael just uh, sent me. And, and like it's, uh, he said, like, you know, part of the reason was that there's been a bunch of those that he feels like between the two of us. So I feel like I'm going to throw that one up here again today. Uh, before we do sign off, I do want to say a very big kind thank you again to the Retro Network. Uh, Michael was discussing last time that they had sent a gift to him. Mine, unfortunately, arrived like, a day after we recorded. So I, I, I picked this apart and I wanted to show you what they um, included because a couple of jokers over there at the retro network. First of all, oh God. on the really cool plus side, this pack of Rocketeer collectible yeah. cards. I was super, wow. super stoked about. Um, among some others, we got some Dick Tracy here and some other cool stuff. Very nice. <laughs> what, what is that, Adam? This is what a is full this? set of Rocketeer cards that they sold. Holy, of course <laughs> you do. Of Jason course. sent me this like a couple years ago, but yeah, it's just crazy. Wow. You should open How it and make sure there's not one missing. At least one might have been skimmed off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask Jason how he finds something. Well, and I love this too. Like here's one, another one, Ghostbusters 2. And what's great about this is this has the stick of bubble gum in it still. (laughs) That's incredible. But here's the one I really need to show you because I think Jason was sitting there listening to one of the previous episodes, and you'll know which one in a minute, when I was complaining about a particular animated movie and he decided he had to include this in the Trapper Keeper. Uh. (laughs) this is a children's illustrated story of an american tale fievel goes west which by the way i'd be remiss to mention i think i compared it to that they were escaping nazi germany when i realized that the timing is actually correct they weren't escaping nazi germany they were escaping like the cossacks (laughs) in like 1800s germany or something so or russia so i think i botched that one but uh, hi over here my stuff yes fievel's fievel's waving hello to us Adam has a fival. It, I, a big I one mean, at that. That's yeah. like a big one. This came from a department <laughs> you store in the 80s. You have a Teddy Ruxpin, don't you? Uh, yeah, I have a Teddy Ruxpin that sits right next to Fievel. <laughs> They're buds. Oh, my goodness. You guys, the two of you, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, but like, what I want to know is where on earth did Jason and Mickey find 
two mint condition trapper keepers. No, no, like, the, these are I, reproductions that were released this last year. So yeah, they didn't go that crazy because oh, well. real real trapper keepers go for like hundreds of dollars now. Yeah, they're not that wow. that generous, but still hilarious. Yeah. All right. But, well, we are going to call it quits here before uh, the bunch of us get rung up on, uh, you know, being parents that aren't paying attention to their kids <laughs> as well. And then we have to go off to Neverland. Adam, thank you so, so much for joining us. Hopefully you can join us again for another likewise film that you and I can trash Michael wait. over. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will be back on the Wizards podcast next month as well during January for a while and, and hopefully pretty <laughs> regularly. I've been a little crazy, but yeah, I'll be back for a couple episodes coming up soon. So look forward to me not knowing diddly squat about 90s comics once again so that'll be fun Brilliant. that's why the show right. exactly all right thanks guys for listening we will see you next time and in where pete's words bang around this has been a presentation of the retro network